to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon where you will get exclusive content, shout-outs, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout-out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Skiba News Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. what it costs. I want to know what the truth is. And I hope that people, my son, anybody, if my name comes up, whether you like me, whether you agree with me or not, at least you can respect the fact that he's on a quest for truth. He's on a quest for truth. Welcome to Skiba News Nation. Bringing you unfiltered views, news, interviews, discussions, and more. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Skiba, award-winning musician and son of Rob Skiba. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, welcome to episode 44 of Skiba News Nation. You know, 44 is a very important number. Uh, it was a, four was a very important number to my dad, as you all know. But welcome to episode 44, your weekly source of the latest news, controversial topics, conspiracies, forgotten history, and much more. I'm your host, Jeremiah Skiba, and today we're going to be talking about Tucker Carlson getting fired. Elon Musk calls out BBC's hypocrisy. Conservative slang words like red pill and base labeled as violent extremism. CDC's tracking everyone. RFK Jr. on socialism for the rich. Hole in the bottom of the ocean fears massive earthquake. Muslims dream of Jesus. Scary footage of shadows of insects taking over. Tate Brothers on why the earth is flat. And Google's AI craziness. An all new Opus Corner and for history, we're going to do a deep dive on Dennis Wilson, memes, and much more, so stay tuned. And we got a great show for you today, but before we get into it, I'd like to introduce, as always, my great and insightful co-host, Jake Grant. Welcome, Jake. How are you doing? Doing all right, Jeremiah. It's I know, uh, good to be here. We had a fun time uh, recently when we filmed that Waco thing. That was uh, pretty interesting, and getting a strike on YouTube for no reason was uh, oh yeah, pretty crazy, but... 
Yeah, really, uh, a really eventful week. I get home from filming Waco, and and uh, I don't know if it's the topic of the government cover up that got us flagged, whether it's the fact that we shared a video from 2012 of your dad forewarning about the medical experiment that happened over the past few years. Or it was just the fact that we had one of the most banned comedians of all time as a guest on episode 42. So, you know, of all the different things, I think at least we got a big red X painted on our channel. And hopefully they're not going to flag us again and try to take us down. Well, let's uh, wear but, it with pride, yeah. Skiba News Nation family. Let's do it. We got that red strike. Ah, make yeah. speech free again. <laughs> so you ready to dive right in, man? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do this. All right, so there are so many things going on in today's world, and sometimes this comes to mind. The current distraction is just a distraction from the real distraction, which is a new distraction to distract you from the actual distraction. <laughs> and there's a cat in the picture, so you should, yes. guys should like this one. I love it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, how true and how uh, interesting that it's so difficult in today's world with the amount of information we're presented with to dive into all these different topics and come out with a worldview that's not exactly what they want you to have uh, because it's it's really an overload of information. And so uh, just jumping right into probably the most prevalent thing that people should be paying attention to as of April 23rd, uh, here's a letter to the Speaker of the House and President Pro Tempore of the Senate a consistent with the war powers resolution and uh this has to do with what's happening in khartoum and sudan so uh military uh from the u.s is going to be boots on the ground this is significant you guys should be paying attention it says dear mr speaker um dear mr madam president uh at my direction united states armed forces personnel have condu conducted an operation to evacuate United States personnel and others from Khartoum, Sudan, in response to the deteriorating security situation in Sudan. To conduct and support this operation, United States Armed Forces personnel with appropriate combat equipment deployed to Djibouti, Ethiopia, and Sudan. United States Armed Forces personnel will remain deployed in Djibouti to protect United States personnel and others until the security situation no longer requires their presence. And additional forces are prepared to deploy to the region if required. This is significant. I directed this action consistent with my responsibility to protect United States citizens, both at home and abroad, in furtherance of United States national security and foreign policy interests pursuant my constitutional authority as Commander-in-Chief and Chief Executive and to conduct United States foreign relations. I am providing this report as part of my effort to keep the Congress fully informed Consistent with the War Powers Resolution, Public Law 93148, I appreciate the support of the Congress in these actions. Sincerely, jo Joseph R. Biden Jr. So uh, there is a ex escalating situation in the uh, deteriorating situation in Khartoum, Sudan, and in Ethiopia. 
Um, and so this is just very significant, guys, especially when you see things like additional forces are prepared to deploy to the region if required. But I don't know if this is going to escalate into a greater conflict. But we definitely see uh, this is a volatile region, and uh, we now have military presence there. So I wanted to start off with the most important of the, the topics today. And going back over here, uh, just to talk a little bit about uh, some interesting things, you know, while we're sifting through the news of the, the era, while we're sifting through the current events, it's important to keep a focus on our faith, keep a focus on our own growth. Uh, I found something really interesting. Uh, somebody posted this. Hebrew is encoded in the DNA of creation. I found this very interesting. The 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet perfectly correspond to the 22 amino acids, the building blocks of life within our DNA. The Torah teaches us speech was the tool of creation. Psalms 33, 6. Since the 22 amino acids in our DNA correspond to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, we can say with surety that the Hebrew language is the DNA of creation. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. And, and uh, later on in the show, I'm going to share the meaning of what it means to be a man and uh, to be the head of a household. And some of the lingual breakdown there is very interesting as to the purpose and the role of a man in a household. What is and, a woman? Uh, I'm just <laughs> it, it, it also defines that as well, which is interesting. We'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's a good reminder. Um, sometimes the world can distract us of what's important, right? And yep. so just to bring things back home, you know, this is what's being taught in modern Christianity, for example. Let me get this straight. You think that in the past, Satan tried to get people to dis disobey God's laws. But today, you think Satan is trying to get people to obey God's laws. And you think the way to follow the Messiah is to break the laws he kept. Is this what you're teaching? And that's an important question to ask yourself. As 60%, 50% of the United States claim some form of Christianity, you know, what percentage of that actually read their Bible? Probably a very few. And of the majority of people that are in modern Christendom today, they adopt the the belief of dispensationalism and antinomianism, which is they teach that Jesus did away with the law. And so we have to address this because uh, not only are people hungry for truth now, as the world seems to be getting crazier and crazier, they're being funneled into country club Christianity. And whenever they go there, they're being fed a belief set that is actually contradictory to what the scriptures teach. Now we see, you know, with guys like your dad, who was a, a forerunner, um, you know, coming out of denominational Christianity. Uh, it, for me, it was back in 2015. I saw, you know, there's something missing in the belief set that meets on Sunday, that hides their eyes from the Sabbath, that doesn't ha that teach the difference between the clean and the unclean. Uh, you know, there's something missing in that belief set. And what I found was. We are inheriting in innocence and keeping in ignorance the things that our fathers have inherited from their fathers, right? Yep. And so, unfortunately, that is traditions of men that have hid our identity as the people of the Most High. And we right now are in a feast season, uh, a the, the time of the counting of the Omer. 
and that's the time between Passover and Shavuot or Pentecost. And this whole time, there was a tradition where people every single day would read a, a section of Psalm 119. And the significance of this is uh, as you study and you read Psalm 119, you learn the, the thought process of King David. And King David was called a man after Yah's own heart. He was mightily blessed and protected by the Most High as he, you know, escaped all of King Saul's attempts to take him out. And then, of course, all the enemies of the Most High that he fought against that he had delivered into his hand, right? Well, we have to ask ourselves, why was King David such a special apple of the Most High's eye? Well, it's because he loved his law. He loved his Torah, which is the opposite of what Christianity is teaching today. So during this time period, it's a good time to study Psalm 119 and to figure out what does it mean to become a person that is uh, got their heart aligned to the Most High's heart. And here we have uh, Psalm 119, 160. All your words are true and all your righteous laws are eternal. And uh, it's a repeating theme throughout Psalm 119 that the ultimate truth, the ultimate base morality, right, that we can then build our lives off of is the word of the Most High, the commandments of the Most High. If we make that our foundation as we walk through this confusing world, there's a promise that we become wiser than all of our elders. We become wiser than the teachers because we've meditated and focused on the commandments of the Most High and we seek to apply them to our life. And that's why this time is so important. And people often don't understand that bad things happen because in Deuteronomy 28, for example, there's a definition of what brings a curse and what brings blessing to somebody's life. And if somebody keeps the commandments of the Most High, they're promised blessing. It's almost like the commandments of the Most High are woven into the fabric of reality. And as we apply them to our life, we open ourselves up to be blessed and protected. And whenever we don't keep his commandments, we open ourselves up to curses, which are, you know, the consequences of sin, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so people swear sometimes that they're fighting demons when the whole time they're fighting against the consequences of their choices. And and so today, you know, we're, there's so many things being thrown at people agenda-wise. And it's all to distract you from these very important concepts. That if you are simply to focus on the Most High, to keep His commandments, and, and through faith in the Messiah, right, we have that cleansing of the conscious to pick ourselves back up when we sin, to confess our sins, and to walk, you know, boldly after the Messiah's example. Yeshua made a way for Im imperfect men to be reconciled with a perfect Elohim. And that's why we, we even, you know, should try to try, right? To pick mm -hmm. ourselves up when we fail. And so that's really the motivation of all these dark days that, that unless you get a hold of the truth of the word of the Most High and the promises that he'll protect you in these dark days, then, you know, it could be really depressing to read through these news stories to find what's coming on the earth, right? But if we grab hold of the hope of our souls, right, the hope and the promises and the protection that he offers, you know, there's a reason the book of Revelation says he, the dragon that's thrown down from heaven 
knows his time is short, and he comes to make war with those that have the testimony of Yeshua and keep the commandments of the Most High. Why doesn't he come to make war with somebody who doesn't have the uh, testimony of Yeshua? Well, because you're, you know, trying to figure it out on your own. You know, you're, you're, a, you're walking a, a workspace salvation process where you pretty much think you you are your own God. And the reason you also want to have the commandments is because if you're just breaking his commandments, then Satan has already deceived you in some way. So there's no reason for him to make war with you. Yeah. But the people that have both, you know, both faith in the Messiah and keep the commandments, they're the ones that are going to be the mighty warriors, the lions of this age, so to speak. I don't know if we can throw a sound effect. Oh, in but there you got a roar for us. Mighty lions. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <sighs> that's, that's what sets people apart and makes them the wise during the collapse of society because they're setting their faith, their walk, their morality on a foundation that can't be shaken. And, uh, so, uh, you know, people, you know, are like, Oh, but I'm not Jewish. Well, keep in mind, Abraham himself wasn't born a Hebrew. He became one when he left the ways of his culture and family and crossed over in obedience to the most high Yahuwah, right? Mm -hmm. A Hebrew is one who has crossed over like Abraham. We become Hebrew when we leave the traditions of men and start obeying, being obedient to what the scripture says. That's what makes us Hebrew. It's not by blood because there's many people throughout history. Uh, Caleb, for example, you know, Caleb and Joshua, right? The two spies. Caleb wasn't a Hebrew, by the way. He was one of the, the nations that was able to be adopted in because he had the faith in the Most High that it took. And as we see, you know, this is a message that the Paul the Apostle shared could go out to all the nations. That anybody could be grafted in, not just because you have the shared blood, but because you have the faith to walk after the Messiah and to start to apply the commandments in your life to be more like him, right? Mm -hmm. So anyways, uh, this is some breaking news right here as we get into it. Uh, just in, experts find a cure for fear, depression, and anxiety. What the, the the cure is the big red button at the end of your TV controller. You don't and, say. <laughs> yeah, if only could people could figure this out. You know, it's it's uh it's crazy to see all the things on the news and it can be overwhelming. But you know, if you're if you're focusing on the, the most important stuff and you got that in check, then you can look out into the world and all these stories and you can sift through it with a sound mind and figure out what you need to do, how you need to prepare, uh, because we don't want to be caught, you know, dealing with our own problems when the whole world's problems are falling down around us. So, mm. all right. So, uh, we're going to go ahead and get into our, our first news story that seems to be all over the place, right? Uh, the, the topic of Tucker Carlson being mm. fired from Fox news. Uh, a lot of people are wondering why, uh, I wanted to start us off with this interview that he recently conducted that really is telling of what he has learned from being part of the mainstream media and now being able to take a step out of that, what he's talking about. Check this out. Like, I've spent my whole life in the media. My dad was in the media. Like, that is a big part of the revelation that's changed my life is the media are part of the control apparatus. Like, there's no 
Yeah, I know. I know. Because you're younger and smarter and you're like, yeah. Yeah. But what if you're me and you spent your whole life in that world and to look around and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow. Not only are they part of the problem, but I spent most of my life being part of the problem defending the Iraq war. Like I actually did that. Can you imagine if you did that? Well, what do you think? What is one of your biggest regrets in your career? Oh, defending the Iraq war. That is it? Well, I've had a million regrets not being more skeptical calling people names when I should have listened to what they were saying. Look, when you when someone makes a claim, there's only one question that's important at the very beginning, which is, is the claim true or not? Mm. So I say, you know, you committed murder or you rigged the last election before you attack me as a crazy person for saying that. Maybe you should explain whether you did it or not. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And for too long, I participated in the culture where I was like, anyone who thinks outside these pre-prescribed lanes is crazy, is a conspiracy theorist. And I just really regret that. I'm ashamed that I did that. And and partly it was age, partly it was the world that I grew up in. So when you when you look at me and you're like, yeah, of course they're part of the means of control. I'm like, that's obvious to you because you're 28, but I just didn't see it at all, at all. And I'm ashamed of that. Isn't that what the media tries to do though? It, it's their only purpose. Right. They're not here to inform you. Really? Even on the big things that really matter, like the economy and war and COVID and like things that really matter that will affect you. No, their job is not to inform you. They are working for the small group of people who actually run the world. They're their servants. They're their Praetorian guard. And we should treat them with maximum contempt because they have earned it. Yeah. So that is interesting that he's kind of announcing his change of view of how the mainstream media has been used and he's interviewing a guy our age jeremiah it'd be cool yeah. if we could get a guy like tucker carlson to come on our show i bet he's he'd be open to it now that he's breaking ties with uh, the big msn well i'll make the call out tucker carlson if you're, if you're watching this please we would love to have you on the show you are my favorite reporter i canceled my fox nation subscription because they fired you just so messed up so, uh, you know, of course, let's talk about what's happening here. Um, you know, apparently uh, one of the reasons they say Tucker Carlson's vulgar language and text contributed to Fox News's firing report. Okay, well, that's one excuse that they're giving. Uh, another one is Tucker Carlson being a far-right extremist, and they're trying to clean up their image. They're but he's really not. Whatever. He's really not. He's actually very fair. Like he's willing to hear both sides and he's kind of like me to where I'm even if I disagree with somebody, at the end of the day I can still be your friend, you know? Whether yeah. I disagree with you 100%. It's not like I'm just going to shut you down and be like I'm done. But that that in some time in my lifetime that that ceased to exist, which is crazy. Yeah, I I think it's really telling that at the same time that Tucker Carlson was fired. Don Lemon was Don fired Lamont. from Don Lemon was fired from CNN. It almost shows that the people that control the media were, you know, it's just two wings of the same media empire bird, and they're just cutting, you know, two of the big names from both sides of the docket, right? The yeah, red, they're, and blue. They're all in bed together. Let's be real. Yeah. It, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to bring up this particular theory, uh, which I think is very interesting. I believe part of the reason is because there's an ongoing uh, lawsuit between Fox News and the Dominion voting machine 
builders or whatever. Uh, and it's it's really interesting. There's a $1.6 billion lawsuit against Fox. It could be a landmark legal case. Uh, Dominion will have to prove the network knew it was spreading lies in 2020. So why is this significant? We're coming up on 2024 election. Uh, there's going to be a lot of kind of talk about was what happened in 2020 all on the up and up or was there some hunanigans going on? And uh, a slate of Fox News stars, including Tucker Carlson, are expected to testify because he was one of the main people on Fox talking about the possibility that there was a rigged election going on. So We'd this is banned. all very timely. We get banned on YouTube just for saying that. I saw the new community guidelines and they said if you question the outcome of an election, that's how crazy it is right now. If you question whether, like your beliefs, you can be banned on YouTube. That's insanity. Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's obviously, it's, uh, something's going on. Whenever they whitewash a topic or something's censored, it makes you think something else is going on. And uh, yep. that, you know, this is a really interesting topic, you know, just how this is all lining up. And that makes me want to go ahead and uh, because uh, OPA, I'm going to have you go ahead and play video five, which is on this topic of the Dominion and Fox News uh, lawsuit. So we're just going to skip over to that one real quick, and then we'll go back to video two afterwards. And we are following some breaking news in Dominion's defamation lawsuit against Fox News. The judge in the case just announced the two sides have reached a settlement. That announcement came on the same opening statements were set, same day opening statements were set to begin in the $1.6 billion suit. NBC's Emily Aketa is in Wilmington, Delaware, live where that trial was supposed to begin. Emily, dramatic developments. Bring us up to speed here. What's the latest? Yeah, absolutely. Some 11th hour drama here. Opening statements for this high stakes trial were supposed to begin at 1.30 p.m. Hour by hour as we were left with unanswered questions around what was delaying the process. There was speculation around, okay, could this be the result of a settlement? Well, just before 4 p.m., the judge and the jurors re-entered the courtroom and we got our answer. The judge announcing that the parties involved have settled the manner. He profusely thanked the jurors, 12 jurors, 12 alternate jurors that had just been seated earlier today saying they had done their duty and it was because of them that these parties were able to set to settle reach a settlement before the actual trial got underway we had already seen one delay in this process it was supposed to get underway yesterday morning and we got a formal announcement from the judge pushing it to today and so what you can see happening behind me just out of view you may have be able to watch people walking behind me and that is because uh, Dominion's lawyers are addressing the press at this hour Hour. And just moments ago, I'm going to pull it up on my phone because I just got this statement in from Fox Corporation, our NBC News team sharing this with me. We are pleased to have reached a settlement of our dispute with Dominion Voting Systems. It goes on to say we acknowledge the court's rulings, finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. The settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. We are hopeful that our decision to resolve this dispute with Dominion amicably instead of the acrimony of a divisive trial allows the country to move forward from these issues. Kristen. Uh, as soon as we're done here, I'll be popping over there to hear exactly what Dominion has to say on this. And Emily, really, the crux of this was this battle between press freedom, which is what Fox was arguing, freedom of the press, 
And this argument by Dominion, which said that you cannot knowingly disseminate misinformation, it was anticipated that this is the type of case that would have gone all the way to the Supreme Court. Talk about the stakes of this case. Well, I think one of the interesting things that we saw play out here, but during the pretrial hearings and there was an initial ruling before the trial even got underway from the judge that actually declared the statements, the uh, conspiracy theories swirling around Dominion voting systems, suggesting they had some kind of role in rigging the 2020 presidential election. The judge ruled those to be false ahead of time. He said it was crystal clear those statements were not true. And so Dominion's job throughout the rest of this, uh, throughout the trial was merely to, to prove defamation and they, that they acted with actual malice, which is a difficult standard to reach. And it's why a lot of defamation cases uh, frequently don't reach trial. They are settled outside uh, or they, they are settled before they even reach trial. And actual malice means that Dominion had to prove that Fox knowingly aired false claims or at least acted with uh, reckless disregard for the truth. But again, so many eyes have been on this case, especially when you consider there are other similar suits coming down the pipeline for Fox. So very interesting time-wise about how all these things are falling right before the 2024 election race mm -hmm. and uh, the presidential election coming up is something that uh, I think part of that <laughs> settlement could have been we want you guys to kick Tucker Carlson off of your broadcast platform. And while we can't know for sure that that was one of the you know, agreements. It definitely seems like uh, it's too these convenient. Things all happen. It's too convenient. Yeah, too convenient. Not... Yeah, exactly. All happened very similar. But there's some very alarming language being used uh, regarding like conspiracy the, theory. You no, know, conspiracy theory. The knowing dis the, the knowing distribution of misinformation or malinformation, and uh, and and so this is exactly what we saw with what happened to us recently this week, right? You know, I, I can't read this out loud, but you know, we're, we're getting flagged for playing a video in 2012 uh, of your dad, which is talking about, you know, this kind of topic. And, and, and yet, you know, they ban us for, you know, misinformation or, or flag us for content violations. And it really begs the question, what are they trying to hide? What are they protecting? in these topics uh youtube not a public forum with guaranteed free speech you know of course it's their company but at the same time it is one of the largest platforms to talk about various topics and and it's it's alarming that some topics that should be able to be discussed in the public forum uh are being so heavily censored and people with alternative views are being banned uh but you know of course judges decided that the u.s constitution's first amendment did not apply to youtube a private company so, so we're stupid. of course feeling the repercussions of this and it is and everybody watching go go subscribe to us on rumble and BitChute and odyssey and uh you know just in case youtube decides hey we don't like you anymore you know and we want you off of our platform I know a lot of people have been coming to Rumble. Just whatever's easiest for you, just make your way over there because at at one point or another, it's there're going to be no voices that are actually speaking the truth on YouTube. And it's like that's what they want. They're trying to control people's uh, 
speech make speech free again i mean youtube needs yeah. to take that message and uh shove it and and unfortunately uh i have talked about this uh i think on a virtual house church episode or, or so before but the whole topic of a message of peace and safety is simply not giving timely truths when they are necessary is the concept that we can talk about true things but if there's something very pressing very important that is time sensitive and we're not allowed to talk about it well guess what we're preaching a message of peace and safety because uh we're talking about everything but the important stuff and so well, people will be lulled into this sense of security and unfortunately that's kind of what they're creating is a an environment where you can't talk about the hard-hitting now topics that would actually impact somebody's decisions and their life well what's interesting is they didn't just uh uh strike our our skipper news nation special number four they striked uh episode five of skipper news nation which is old news and they said it was for medical misinformation that that makes no sense to me i don't yeah. even know what we talked about in episode five if i'm being completely honest but it's like i had a human review it so why didn't they pick it pick it up then it's like they're they're trying to mess with us and and yeah. i think that's wrong but that's just my personal belief i guess they are a private company but i think that's what tucker needs to do tucker needs to create a platform like youtube that would be awesome for free speech because he's all about free speech that's why i love tucker and he could totally do it he could totally do it right people would love it yeah he yeah, he should just call it Truth Social Number Two. No, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Truth Social. Well, you can't stream on Truth Social. I wish he could. I mean, that'd be cool. Oh yeah, has to be under two minutes. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get into our next clip here. Uh, this is an interesting interview with Elon Musk, demonstrating how mainstream media twists facts to tell a narrative that is not necessarily true and he catches this reporter in almost an outright lie well it was an outright lie and I it know, just I shows us the type of media that they want us consuming and how they twist the facts to paint a picture that they want us to buy free speech is meaningless unless you allow people uh, you don't like to say things you don't like otherwise it's relevant um, and if at the point at which you lose uh, free speech uh, it doesn't come back. I, th I think the issue some people have is that a lot of people were brought back. I mean, some people were brought back who uh, were previously banned for spreading things like uh, QAnon conspiracies. You have people like Andrew Tate who were brought back who were previously uh, banned for things like hate speech. Do you think you prioritize freedom of, of speech over misinformation and hate speech? Well, you know, who's to say that something, something is misinformation? Um, who's the arbiter of that? Is it the BBC? <laughs> and you, you're literally asking me? Yes. Well, no, you, you, are, the, the you are the arbiter on Twitter because you own Twitter. Yes, I'm saying who, who is to say that one person's misinformation is another person's information? Um, <laughs> at the point at which you, you say that there is, uh, this is misinformation. Like, who is but going you, but to decide that? you misinformation that? can be dangerous, that it can cause yes. real-world harms, that it can potentially cause... Um, yeah, so the point I'm trying to make is that the BBC itself has, at times, published things that are false. 
Do you agree that that has occurred? I, 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 I'm quite sure the BBC have uh, said things before that turn out to not be true. Right. It, it is whatever it is, 100-year history, I'm quite sure. Yes. Even if you aspire to be accurate, there are times when it will, you, you will not be. We've spoken to people very recently who were involved in moderation, and they just say they just, there's not enough people to police this stuff, particularly around, um, particularly around hate speech um, in the company. Is that what hate speech are you talking about? I mean, you use Twitter. Right. Do you see a rise in hate speech? I mean, I, I, just a personal anecdote. Like, what do you do? I don't. Personally, my uh, for you, I would see I get I get more of that kind of content. Yeah, personally. But I, I'm not going to talk to talk to the rest of for, for the rest of Twitter. So you see more hate speech personally. I would say I would see more hateful content in that in that content probably. you don't like or or hateful. What do you mean to describe a hateful thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, just content that will <laughs> solicit a, a reaction, something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist, those kinds of those kinds of things. So you think if I'm, something is slightly sexist, it should be banned? I, no, is I'm that not, what you're saying? I'm not saying anything. I'm, well, saying, I'm just curious. What you, I'm, just, I'm trying to understand what you mean by hateful con content. And I'm asking for specific examples. Um, and if, and you just said that if something is slightly sexist, that's hateful. Content does that mean that it should be banned? Well, you've asked me. You've asked me whether my feed, whether it's got less or more. It, I'd say it's got slightly more. That's why I'm asking for examples. Can, right. you, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't. I, I, honestly, <laughs> you I don't, can't name I, a single example. I'll tell you why. Because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore. Because I, I just don't particularly like it. But you and said actually, a lot of people. A lot of people are quite similar. I, I, I only. Well, I only look well, at hang my, on a second. You said you've following. seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example. Not even <laughs> one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last three or four weeks, and I. Well, then, how did you see the hateful content? Content. Because I've been I've been using I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen the you, for you hateful content. And I'm asking for one example. Right. And and I, you can't I, give a single I, one. And, and, and I'm saying. I, I, then I, I say so that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? <laughs> yes, because you can't give me a single example of hateful con a content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed that the hateful content was high. Well, that's a false. No, what I claimed, you just lied. What no, no. <laughs> what I claim was uh, there are many uh, organisations that say that that kind of information is on the rise. Now, whether whether it has on my Give me feed one or example. not, I mean, I, right? And Literally, if you, can you name something one. like the, the uh, <laughs> Strategic Dialogue uh, Institute in the U in the UK. They will say that. So they, look, people will say all sorts of nonsense. I'm literally asking for a right. single example, and you can't name one. Right. And as, as I already said, I don't use that feed. But let's, well, then how let, would you know? Then, that I don't you, think this is getting anywhere. You literally said you experienced more hateful content, and then couldn't name a single example. Right. And as I said, I that's absurd. I haven't. I haven't actually looked at that feed. I then would how would you know this hateful weeks. content? Because I'm saying that's what I saw a few weeks ago. I can't give you an exact example. Let's move on. We have. We only have a certain amount of time. Um, well, wow. COVID misinformation. You You changed the COVID misinformation. <laughs> Has rules. BBC changed its COVID misinformation? The BBC does not set the rules on Twitter, so I'm asking you. No, I'm talking about the BBC's misinformation about COVID. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm literally Has asking you about. You changed the labels, the COVID misinformation labels. There used to be a policy, and then then disappeared. Why, why do that? Well, COVID is no longer uh, an issue. <laughs> Does the BBC uh, hold itself at all responsible for misinformation re re regarding ma masking and, and side effects of? <laughs>
and not reporting on that at all? <laughs> and what about the fact that the BBC was put under pressure by the British government to change its editorial policy? Are you aware of that? This is, a, this is not an interview about the BBC. Oh, so. you thought it wasn't? <laughs> and this, I see now why you've done Twitter Spaces. I am not a representative of the BBC's editorial policy. I want to make that clear. Let's talk about something else. You want I'm to talk about the BBC? All right, let's, 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 talk about, let's talk about something else. You weren't expecting that. Sorry for laughing. Wow, so... I mean, that's... I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm like think? drying tears, man. I've seen that clip so many times and I laugh hysterically every time because he's just pointing out their hypocrisy and the guy can't even answer a simple question and that's that's how it is with with you know people like the bbc that are you know they're the mainstream news you should trust their their science or whatever and it's so it's, <laughs> i don't know I, I i know elon musk is on the spectrum like me and i it's just so funny watching what he he's just very good at like no we're not moving on until you tell me what it is that's hateful and it's like what is hate speech and and the guy couldn't answer he couldn't answer what is hate speech jake what is it i yeah, don't know what is hate speech hate speech is the speech that they don't want you sharing that has an opinion that they don't like and it's hateful the truth is hate their speech. position yeah the exactly truth the truth is, hate, is speech. hate speech exactly I, I am becoming more and more of a, a fan of Elon Musk, you know, other than the fact that, you know, he's obsessed with blowing up penis-shaped rockets, you know, I think he does have some interesting meme lord chaotic tendencies uh, that he's stirring the mud, so to speak, you know, with his uh, free speech that he's let on Twitter. Um, so, it is interesting to me how he's pulling the strings and, and looking at these different topics. So I, I'm becoming more and more of a fan of Elon as uh, well, I he's see too big of a voice. Like that, you know? He's too big of a voice to be silenced and that's that's what's awesome about it. Him calling people out on their hypocrisy. But... Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that clip gets me every time. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I, I wanted to share this next topic which is uh, uh, Elon. Some of his posts just recently this month uh, like talking marionettes but who is pulling the strings? And he shares, you know, this well, well-known clip of all of these various news people all presenting the same exact topic in the same script, right? Yeah, they're like and, mimicking uh, each other. It's like a big mimic and, and, game. <laughs> this disclaimer said, uh, readers added context they thought people might want to know. The Sinclair Media Group had their anchors read a scripted statement in 2018. The event was controversial because it demonstrated how news shared by 297 local stations could be controlled by a small and potentially biased group of individuals, private or government. So very interesting, you know, Elon sharing stuff like this. Uh, you know, of course, uh, we have the Twitter files. Elon Musk says US government had full access to private Twitter DMs and all the Matt Taibbi exposés. So all of this is uh, interesting stuff. You know, I, I do think it is interesting that uh, Elon recently had a, uh, a little chat with Tucker Carlson, who just got fired from Fox News. And, you know, if, the, if there's some collusion between these extreme bastions of free speech and they're talking and making fun of the New York Times, for example, no wonder Tucker's being taken down uh, from his platform. Yeah. But uh, 
you know, this is super important, this topic of free speech. And sometimes I do think that hyper-focusing on the Twitter files and stuff is something that really is distracting us from something more important. Yeah. But the topic of freedom of speech is so important. And so this brings to mind another video that's come out, how slang words, very particular conservative used slang words are being uh, flagged. And so let's check out this next video. Welcome back. It is time for the Hot Topic Buzz. New documents reveal a list of commonly used words online that the FBI has labeled extremism. This after a FOIA request. It's a Freedom of Information request from the Heritage Foundation. The phrase red pill made famous by the Matrix is a belief that society is corrupt and people are victims of that corruption. The word based, just based, according to the FBI, refers to someone, quote, who has been converted to racist ideology. And then there's this one, what? LARPing. It originally refers to groups doing live auction, uh, live action one. role playing. Now it's a way to quote, deride individuals accused of not being as extreme. These are the words that the FBI has indicated are in the extremist category, <laughs> Monica. Well, I just tweeted the word based last night, Maria, <laughs> when I was tweeting at the UFC uh, response to President Trump and Kid Rock and Mike Tyson all attending that huge event in Miami over the weekend. So I guess now I'm considered an extremist uh, by the FBI. Um, look, this is all part and parcel of what we, we have seen are. over the last several years right? of weaponizing government to attack the First Amendment. We just saw over the last couple of weeks the case of Douglas Mackey, who was convicted in a court of law for an anti-Hillary meme in the 2016 campaign. We also saw journalist Matt Taibbi, who's a classic liberal. He's not a conservative, and he had the IRS show up to his door on the very day that he was testifying to Congress about the Twitter files. So all of these actions not only are a violation of the First Amendment, totally unconstitutional, Maria, but they're also messaging events. They are shots across the bow to regular Americans who may dissent from what the Biden administration and big tech and and all of these progressives are doing to the country it's a shot across the bow to all of us that hey you may not want to stick your head up too far above the the um, level here because we are going to come for you and it is not going to be pleasant because we're going to come for you with the entire force of the US government wow. that is terrifying unconstitutional and illegal wow. but they're doing it anyway this is very disturbing mike yeah maria um the, the using of this language to label people extremists is nothing more than cover to allow them to surveil and harass people who are guilty of political wrong think they, they this That's is right. the fbi has become a political hit force for the left to go after their enemies. And so what you are seeing when these things come out are no different than going after uh, concerned parents showing up at a school board meeting, right? And, you know, telling them that they are domestic terrorists. What they'll do is they'll use someone like the Southern Poverty Law Center to come in and say, label somebody with some, ba you know, normal conservative thought advocating for a smaller government or exposing corruption. Well, now this person is an extremist 
Uh, we need to get ahead of them in case they commit some sort of violence so we can surveil them and then maybe jam them up on, you know, some sort of process crime. Um, you know, yeah. you, you saw that with the special counsel. Um, it, it's, it's kind of the MO, and then you're now seeing it uh, reach the point of ridiculousness, as Monica just mentioned, in the case of Douglas Mackey, um, who only who was making memes online and the Southern District of New York that prosecuted him could not point to a single person that um, <laughs> that 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 took that seriously or was a victim yeah. and and still this guy's looking at some serious jail time unless they went on appeal and even if they went on appeal uh, the process is still the punishment going through yeah. this for years of his life it's just a, it's these are designed to harass people and intimidate those that do yeah. not agree with them and do not get in line that's right. I mean, you're either you're either on the team or you're not on the team. And if you're not on their team, you could get prosecuted. Monica, there was a great op-ed from Mark Penn in the Journal last week uh, about the race to the bottom. And this kind of activity is driving the race to the bottom. And he wrote in that op-ed that this is all a continuation of what started under the Obama and Clinton administrations, in particular Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, where the Obama administration did, in fact, weaponize the agencies, going after the IRS, using the IRS to go after political enemies, uh, using agencies to go after uh, what they didn't agree with, Eric Holder, uh, his, his attorney general, leading that effort. Yeah, you saw it across the board over the eight years during, during the Obama administration, Maria. Yeah. That is exactly right. They began to truly weaponize government. I mean, this has actually gone on longer than the Obama administration. This is basically a Marxist revolution. It's a soft revolution, but it's one nonetheless to undermine our country from within. And the best way to do that is to take control over all of our major institutions and corrupt them with the left. So certainly the Obama team accelerated that process and then yeah. under four years of Trump he tried to bring us back to our foundational principles here and get these institutions back on track but the problem is Maria that they are so shot through with so much corruption which runs so deep and all of these players are so deeply entrenched along with this ideology that it is going to take um, you know another political leader President Trump wants to do it uproot all of this root and branch and begin yeah. again because I really don't think reform is in the cards. Well, I mean, I think, Mike, it's activity that you would expect from something like the Chinese Communist Party, which is also part of it, but you would not expect it from Democrats who are running these federal agencies. How disturbing that our most important federal agencies have been compromised, like the FBI and the DOJ, because of leadership in the White House. Uh, Maria, what we've seen over the last two years of the Biden administration is the shifting of domestic surveillance, anti-terrorism, moving from Islamic extremists and you know other factions that may cause harm to our country to basically your rank and file Trump supporters. It's it's the weaponization mm -hmm. of the Patriot Act and all these other tools uh, that right. the national security state has against its own citizens who simply don't agree with them on the way the country should move forward. You're right. All right. So, of course, that's exactly what we're seeing with private companies, mm. not just the government's collusion with Twitter, but with what we see YouTube literally did with, to our channel this week, this past mm. week. So it's crazy. I don't think it's going to get better, ladies and gentlemen. I think things are going to get much more 1984 truth squatty. I think we need to create alternatives. I think we need to get ready for how the bulk of the Internet will be 
vastly controlled. It will be uh, censored. It will be information that they want you to look at as opposed to information that you should look at. Um, you know, I think. What are your some of your thoughts on that, Jeremiah? Man, I just think I, I was just wondering while I was watching that. Uh, be truthful. Do you think we're on a list? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I th I think your dad was probably on a list, and uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we were to. Yeah. I mean, well, I I would think most truth seekers are on that list, which is sad that that they they label us something that we're not. We're just seeking the truth, and yet they, you know, like our song. I mean, <laughs> which is coming soon oh yeah, yeah. If you guys look out we've been uh excited about this song we've been working on quest We're for truth done. right yep <laughs> yeah and featuring rob skiba my dad all right uh back on this topic of how it's not just the government it's not just these private media companies it's also big pharma mm -hmm. uh check out this next video of how the cdc bought phone data uh, and what the implications are. According to government contracts that we here at the Epic Times were able to get our hands on, well, it turns out that the CDC has been using taxpayer money to purchase the cell phone tracking data of millions of Americans in order to monitor how compliant they were with government lockdowns. You heard that right. According to these documents that you can see up on your screen, the CDC paid over $600,000 to two separate companies in order to gain access to the location data of at least 55 million cell phone users. Meaning that whether you were sitting on the couch watching TV, whether you were at the golf course with your buddies, or whether you were on a hike with your kids, as long as you had your trusty cell phone by your side, well, the CDC was very likely monitoring your whereabouts. Although, of course, they'll make the argument that the data was anonymized, and so they did not technically know where you were. They only knew that there was a dot on the map that happened to go wherever you went. However, before we dive into the details of their tracking, let me break down for you the specifics of what these contracts actually reveal. And I hope that if, by the way, if you appreciate content like this, you do take a quick moment to smash those like and subscribe buttons, which quite literally forced the Same YouTube here. algorithm to share this video out to ever more people. Now, to start with, these contracts, they were signed during the time of the pandemic, and therefore they were approved under emergency review, which for your reference is much faster than a typical government contract review. And the stated goal of the endeavor behind this, these contracts was to provide the CDC with, quote, the necessary data to continue critical emergency response functions related to evaluating the impact of visits to key points of interest, stay at home orders, closures, reopenings, and other public health communications related to mask mandates and other emerging research areas and community transmission of SARS-CoV-2. Then in terms of what this tracking looked like in practice, the document goes on to say that the CDC was using this tracking data to quote, assess home by hour behaviors, such as curfew analysis, by exploring the percentage of mobile devices at home during specific periods of time. Then within this purchase order, they go on to write that this cell phone tracking data will be integrated with the information that the CDC already had access to in order to weave together a more complete picture and provide, quote, a comprehensive picture of movement and travel of persons during the COVID-19 pandemic to better understand mandatory stay-at-home orders, business closure, school reopenings, and other non-pharmaceutical interventions in states and cities. And so essentially, if you remember back to the years 2020 and 2021, 
that was when the CDC was recommending that all these different jurisdictions throughout the country, they should be shutting down their bars, their restaurants, their movie theaters, their schools, their small businesses, their clubs, their parks, and almost everything else. And then, according to these new contracts, the CDC was then purchasing the cell phone data in order to see whether their recommendations were, for one, actually being followed, and then secondly, whether they actually worked or not. This, they were essentially, the CDC was essentially mapping out whether there was indeed a connection between these different forced closures and forced lockdowns and a lowering of COVID infections and COVID deaths. Well, at least that's one thing that they were doing. Because according to these documents, the CDC was also using COVID as just a pretext for why they needed to expedite the purchase of this data. But the documents clearly show that the CDC intended to use this data for much more than just COVID. And we know this because in a separate section of this document, a section where the CDC actually lists out exactly what they're planning to use this data for, they elaborate that they will be using this data for non-COVID related programs as well. Here's part of what that section states, quote, the CDC also plans to use mobility data and services acquired through this acquisition to support non-COVID-19 programmatic areas and public health priorities across the agency, including, but not limited to, travel to parks and green spaces, physical activity and mode of travel, and population migration before, during, and after natural disasters. The mobility data obtained under this contract will be available for CDC agency-wide use and will support numerous CDC priorities. Then right below that, the CDC goes on to list 21 specific use cases for this tracking data. You can see it up on screen for yourself. And indeed, there are many use cases listed there that are not linked to COVID at all, such as, quote, research points of interest for physical activity and chronic disease prevention, such as visits to parks, gyms, or weight management businesses, and exposure to place-based environmental exposures, like places with high air pollution and area-level incidents of pollution-related outcomes like asthma, as well as, quote, exposure to certain building types, urban areas, and violence. Meaning that according to the justification for this purchase, according to the CDC's justification for why they needed to spend $600,000, the CDC said that they will be using this data not just for COVID, but for a wide array of other pu public health-related projects as well. Which sounds all well and good until the obvious question pops into your mind. Doesn't this mean that the CDC is tracking me? And here's where things get a little weird. Because on the one hand, this data is anonymized meaning that your little dot on the map, it cannot be traced back to your specific phone number, your specific SIM card, your specific IP address, or anything like that. However, even though this data is anonymized, research has shown again and again that this cell phone tracking data can be used to identify almost anyone. In fact, according to this article in Nature Magazine, researchers found that if a quote, data set where the location of an individual is specified hourly, just four spatio-temporal points are enough to uniquely identify 95% of the individuals. And if you think about it, logically, that would seem to make sense. Because even if you're just a dot on a map without a name and without any identification numbers, well, the people at the CDC who are monitoring you, they can still see where you go to work, they can see where you do your shopping, they can see which bar you go to, and they can see the location where you sleep. And that's enough data points to positively identify almost anyone. So we can see over the past two years, even the CDC has had a role in using information and tracking people. So not only is there this push for controlling misinformation, malinformation, there's also a push to pretty much figure out what you are doing in your day-to-day -day life uh, and, and being able to use that data to better enforce their various policies and you know, control. So 
Uh, pretty pretty crazy, man. Uh, I, I want to know like when our constitutional rights count. Like they're they're doing stuff that are totally against our rights as Americans, and they're getting away with it. And it just it's so infuriating that I mean they're doing this against our will. And yeah, what is the Constitution for? Nothing. Yeah, well, it's hard. We we are entering into a, a phase of modern culture and government where people are giving away their liberties for protections, for free medical experiments, right? For mm -hmm. for to feel comfort and protected, people are very willingly giving up very important things. So it's it's uh, it's alarming, but that's kind of what's going on. It's crazy. All right, so we have some other interesting things happening on in the world. Uh, this next is a this next video is an interview uh, with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, and uh, I find this inter interesting. Uh, let's check out this last interview before Tucker Carlson was off Fox News. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. had some interesting things to say about our uh, state of control here in the United States. And we are honored to have him on our show tonight. He joins us now. Bobby, thanks so much for coming on. Um, so you are, of course, being dismissed as a nut, but watching your announcement today, it wasn't about pharma even so much as it was about America's place in the world and what do we do about it. If you wouldn't mind summarizing for our viewers where you think we are and what you think we ought to do. Well, I gave a long speech, Tucker, and thank you again for uh, having me on. Of course. And for that very kind of an introduction. Um, you know, they, I think that the general theme of my speech was this corrupt merger of state and corporate power, which has, uh, which has gotten, uh, which is turning our country into a corporate kleptocracy into a system of socialism for the rich and this kind of a cushy socialism for the rich and this kind of brutal, um, merciless capitalism for the poor. Uh, it keeps us in a state of war. It bails out banks at the same time that it, it, you know, this month, last month, the United States government told 30 million people it was cutting their welfare, their food stamp checks by 90%. It took, it took 15 million people off of Medicare. The same month, it gave $300 million to the Silicon Valley Bank and tapped up the cost of the Ukraine war to 113 billion. We're sending 113 billion to the Ukraine. The entire budget of EPA is 12 billion. The budget of CDC is 11 billion. We have 57% of American citizens could not put their hands on $1,000 if they have an emergency. A quarter of our citizens are hungry. So we're cutting welfare and food stamps by 90%. And we're paying and we're bailing out the bankers. We're paying for a war that, you know, we, you know, we can't afford. And, um, and with the way that we do this is by printing money, we've printed 10 centuries of money in the last 14 years. And that is that caused the inflation, which raises food, which is, a, which is a tax on the poor. Oh, you know, we've raised food prices for basic foods like chicken, dairy, and milk by 76%. 
in the last two years, and now we're cutting people's food stamps and bailing out banks the same month. It, uh, it doesn't make any sense. And we need to get rid of this kind of corporate control of our government. It comes from uh, this, you know, the, it, it, our, our democracy is devolving into kind of a corporate plutocracy. I, I would think that what you just said, and, I, and I'll just be honest, I agree with most of it, um, but even if I didn't, I would think, boy, that's a really interesting thing to say. You have a coherent worldview. You've written a lot of books on these topics. You've clearly thought about it. You're not in it for the money. So don't these issues deserve a wide hearing uh, before the public entering a presidential year? It seems to me that they do. I would think they would, and particularly the issues of war. And, you know, my son went over and fought in the Ukraine, as I said today. I think we're, you know, people, the, the major doyens, sort of diplomatic, the most respected diplomatic gurus like Henry Kissinger and Jack Matlock and Larry Wilkinson have all said the Ukraine war is a huge problem for our country because it, from a geopolitical standpoint, it's driving the Russians close to the Chinese, which is the worst thing for us. But we're there for the right reasons because we have tremendous compassion for the Ukrainian people and the illegal invasion, the brutality, and also their valor and their courage. My own son was serving over there. He joined a special forces unit as a machine gunner. He fought in the Kharkiv offensive. Americans care about the underdog. They care about that kind of suffering. But the question is, why are we in the Ukraine? Because Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, said that we're there to exhaust the Russians. President Biden has said that we're there to, to, to deplatform, to depose Vladimir Putin. And if that's why we're there, and we're killing a lot of Ukrainians as pawns in a proxy war between, between two great powers. Here's one last thing I would say. Nobody talks about this. There's 14,000 Ukrainian civilians who have died, but 300,000 troops. The Russians are killing Ukrainians at a 7 to 1 to 8 to 1 ratio. They cannot sustain this. What we're being told about this war is just not true. So, man, he's warning of how there are these gears turning in terms of political agenda using these various topics to control and manipulate the outcome of world events and uh and he, he's questioning you know he he's been uh painted as a conspiracy theorist yeah. uh, because of some of his positions on a certain medical topic uh but it's just guys these things are what they're trying to use to distract us as i started out the distraction is a distraction for the distraction that they're going to use to distract you yep so um Here's something I wanted to point out to you guys that is very telling. Uh, Warren Buffett is selling all of his Taiwan Semi. Plus, U.S. Senators are buying puts on Taiwan Semi. Things that make you wonder, is war about to break out? So not only is this a topic of what's happening uh, over in Ukraine, but we also have some of the conflict... Uh, once again that we mentioned is happening there in Africa, in Sudan and Ethiopia, but also in Taiwan with China. So on all fronts, it looks like things are moving towards uh, some type of world worldwide conflict. Uh, this is what collapses the dollar, guys. This is what makes 
uh, very big changes in the world permanent, right? Yep. And so um, it's just interesting that you know guys like Warren Buffett are investing on uh, the collapse of these companies in Taiwan uh, under the assumption that China is going to go in there and you know cause a disruption, you know helping them make money, right? Taiwan Semiconductor uh, supposedly there's this you know thought that there's China's threat to go to war over Taiwan and the U.S.'s influence there in the region and uh, could that bring us into a overall larger conflict so something to pay attention to yeah all right so uh, that brings us to our next video here uh, this is more of a interesting uh, world calamity natural event type thing a hole in the bottom of the ocean has opened up threatening a massive earthquake check out this next video now, earthquakes are devastating. The most recent one, which struck southern Turkey and northern Syria, measured 7.8 on the Richter scale. An estimated 57,000 people lost their lives. But what would happen if a magnitude 9 on the Richter scale earthquake were to strike? Well, that's what scientists fear after they found a hole at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. And our next port gets you more details. Oceans cover more than 70% of the surface of our planet. They hold about 97% of the Earth's water. They are the source of protein for more than a billion people. These vast water bodies regulate our climate, acting as a natural carbon sink and support the greatest abundance of life on our planet. But deep within, it also holds many mysteries and scientists were in shock to find one of the deepest secrets while examining the Pacific Ocean's floor. This image has startled experts. Water oozing out from the seabed. It's a leak which has alarmed scientists. These images were recorded by a research vessel of Washington University's study team. While water seeping from the seabed is not so unusual, however, the chemical composition and the location of the seepage makes this curious. This leak was found at least 80 kilometers off the Oregon coast in the Cascadia subduction zone. This fault line stretches from Canada's west coast to Northern California in the US. Observations suggest the seeping water is coming from four kilometers beneath the sea floor. It is located at the boundary of a tectonic plate. Basically, tectonic plates divide the Earth's crust into distinct plates, and they are constantly moving at a very slow pace. Earthquakes are concentrated along the edges of these plates. Scientists fear that once the water stops flowing out, it can lead to a buildup of stress leading to a devastating earthquake. The fault could unleash a magnitude 9 earthquake in the Pacific Northwest. An earthquake that big can completely destroy cities along the northwestern US. Bureau Report, we on World is One. So there you have it, uh, the possibility of a massive 9.0 plus earthquake off the west coast. So something just to pay attention to. I know, uh, you know, biblically speaking, there's supposedly 
a great earthquake coming on the earth and if that's going to happen in our our age i wonder if uh that might not be you know one of them yeah i don't know we had a massive earthquake that happened out there in turkey recently uh and so more and more earthquakes all across the earth so there's a hole in the ocean where we think so the they, ufos are coming out of <laughs> possibly it, it's possible so they're talking about how there's a, a a hole opening up that they believe is a sign in that location mm. of a coming tectonic shift or, or earthquake going to happen in that area so something to pay attention to it could be huge if if one happened right there and that would possibly cause big tsunamis cause a massive destruction in that west coast area so maybe we should do like noah and just build a big boat <laughs> we come out to kentucky we already have a big Great. ark made let's do it <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool just ride that thing out of here yeah. all right so uh let's check out this next video uh did you know that thousands and thousands of muslims are having visions of jesus and very interesting um i actually saw a, a recent clip on an owen benjamin uh podcast where he shows the strength of faith of Muslims during the great earthquake that happened in Turkey. Uh, many people ran out of this mosque, but many of them stepped forward and just kept on praying, you know. But it, it, it's interesting to me that many of these Muslims are having these dreams and visions of Yahushua, right? And mm -hmm. it's telling, uh, and I, I believe it's the sincerity of faith perhaps that's allowing the spirit of truth to speak to them right and so let's check out this next video there are eight billion question. there are eight billion people in the world the people who have never heard of jesus do not have dreams of him yeah. but there, there definitely okay. are people who have never heard of jesus and yeah. they have these visions they okay. have these dreams bart airman and justin bass are on the unbelievable podcast are having a debate about jesus did he actually rise from the dead if he is risen from the dead shouldn't there be some kind of external contemporary modern proof of that well justin bass gets into this phenomenon which is very fascinating which is the amount of people who are claiming to have seen a vision or a dream of Jesus in the modern era in 2023. I want to say this as a teaser because I have a commentary to make here at the end of this video that I'm going to get into in a little bit more depth. And I'm going to give you as a teaser a little data point here. 25% of Muslims in the Middle East who come to Christ do so having seen him first in a vision or a, or a dream. 25%. With that being said, let's dive into the topic. The fact that Jesus is appearing all over the world, almost every nation, for the last 2,000 years to Hindus, to Buddhists, to Muslims, to Jews, and they're converting, I, I don't know of any other faith that could make such a claim. So this is, this is I think, a unique phenomenon. There, there's even, a, a, I think Bart, Bart's aware of this because he referenced Philip Wiebe's book, Visions of Jesus, which, which I'm... Uh, had en enjoyed reading in, in preparing uh, in preparation for my book and and he talks about how there's even a separate study in the psychological understanding of the paranormal and and of, of these type of things called christic visions because they're so common and there there's so many this is happening so mm. often so so that that's what, what i would say is it's really truly a unique phenomenon with again the person of jesus so this is just another line of evidence to add to all these others that we've been talking about that I think suggests this Jesus rose from the dead. Okay. Bart. Well, I don't really have anything to say about it. I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm pretty sure you do, Bart. Oh no, I really don't. <laughs> I mean, because I don't think it's an I don't think it's any evidence of anything. I mean, okay. people have dreams about all sorts of things. It doesn't mean the thing is real. 
I mean, so I, uh, I'm sorry. I, I've never thought about it, studied it. I, I read this book, and it's yeah, it it, it very, it very weird, very strange. I don't believe it really happened. As you know, the film disappeared. <laughs> well, well, I, yeah, I, I don't. But, yeah. but, but he interviewed, <laughs> just so you know, he, he's talking about a film that they believe they saw Jesus. I don't buy that either. Okay. But there was 32 individuals he interviewed that gave very, yeah. people no, from yeah, Canada, people remarkable. from Australia, yeah. people from America that gave powerful, I, I was okay. convinced, that but they had the seen the fact people have Jesus. dreams and visions of, you know, something like yeah, Christ. Well, it's not true that, it's not true that it only happens in Christianity, of course. Okay. Well, yeah. What other Well, it's very famous in the ancient it? world. I mean, people... Uh, in one of the one of the great healing gods of the Greeks was, um, um, was Asclepius, and the way the uh, the healing rituals worked is that there be there was a shrine of Asclepius. He was a, a divine being, a Greek divine being who, who could heal people, and people who were had a problem. They had breast cancer, or they had a maimed limb, or they had uh, cancer. They had whatever they had. Uh, they were blind. They'd go to an Asclepium. It was called Asclepium, and it would. Uh, and they would. Um, the way it worked is, you would go to sleep in there, and you'd spend the. And Asclepius would come to the person, and heal them. Uh, and we have abundant testimony, hundreds of, of uh, testimonies that this worked. Uh, and we actually have a number of these Asclepia where, that have been dug up by archaeologists that if they're, they're actually pretty interesting because they would make uh, representations of the body part that got healed. And so you'd have their walls covered with, with breasts okay. and penises and arms and eyes and right. ears, depending on what. And, and so it was all based on uh, a dream cult. And Asclepius isn't the only one. We have all sorts of cults involving Zeus, for example. And so throughout history, of course, there have been lots of cults that claim that, that they're, uh, the person is being you know, dreamed of okay. and, and healing them. Oh, that is fascinating, fascinating you know, history. You know, I've learned a lot about Asclepius. But I just have to ask you, Bart, who has Asclepius appeared to lately? Uh, just last night, I had a really interesting dream. <laughs> and, you know, and it proves that Asclepius is raised from the dead because well, I dreamed about it. Let me it. ask you this. If people, <laughs> if people from all over the world started thinking that Asclepius was appearing to them, or Apollonius Siftiana, or yeah. Moroni, or That'd any of great. them, yeah. w wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't, wouldn't you go, wow, there may yeah, be something Yeah, that would be something. This. Yeah, that would be something. But it's happening with Jesus. I don't think so. No, 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 it's a fact that it's happening. No, it's it, not. It's, how many, it's, just a, how, it's just whether or not how many he's actually you, appearing look, to them. Look, there are 8 billion people in the world. The people who have never heard of Jesus do not have dreams of him. No, uh, one of the examples in my book is Samuel Morris, a, a guy from Libya, and he, he heard the voice of Jesus. He went to Taylor, I don't know if you're here, to Taylor University. They have a statue for him. They, they, they dedicated a whole hall for him. He had never heard of Jesus. He heard the voice of Jesus. He survived this tribal attack. It's an amazing story. I mean, yeah, again, it's amazing. Great. like Pincuslipede, you know, Great. you should look into these. Great. These are powerful. Yeah. Yeah. But there, there definitely Great. are people who have never heard of Jesus, and yeah. they have these visions. They okay. have these dreams. Okay, so like I mentioned, I'm going to dive in here to an article. This is actually from gotquestions.org. It has to do with Muslims, dreams, and visions. This idea of if Jesus is risen, is he still operating in the world today? So there are many reports of Muslims converting to Christianity due to having a dream or experiencing a vision in which Jesus appeared to them. The accounts vary somewhat, but they virtually all have the same aspects in common. One, Jesus appears to them. Two, Jesus tells them to find and speak to a person at a certain time and place. Three, when the Muslim follows Jesus's instructions, he or she finds the person exactly at the right place and time, and the person explains who Jesus is and presents the gospel to them. 
4. The Muslim believes that Jesus is the Messiah and Savior and places his or her faith in him, renouncing Islam. Pretty compelling. What are Christians to make of such claims? Considering what happened to the Apostle Paul, there is no reason to doubt such accounts. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to Paul in a vision and told Paul to go to Damascus and wait. Jesus then sent Ananias to Paul. Ananias explained the gospel to Paul and Paul became a Christian. Paul's life was then transformed. He was changed from a persecutor of Christians to a follower of Jesus who powerfully declared the gospel through much of the Roman world. So I think it's fascinating to look at Paul as kind of a case study example of what is also happening in the Muslim world. Now the question is, do we need to rely on dreams and visions? Is this something that we should expect or or that we should allow? I, guess, I think what I want to say is like, to, in a sense, give us a crutch. The biblical mandate is very clearly on us, the people of God, to do the work of God in the world, to go out into the world to every nation, tongue, and tribe, preaching the gospel, right? That, that's what's on us. But I think what happens is when there are external factors that restrict that and that make that either incredibly difficult or impossible, like what's happening in the Muslim world, I do think that God actually, in a sense, steps up and works outside of what is normative or what is prescriptive, and he actually loves people so much that he's even willing to to speak to them to meet them in a vision or in a dream and so um this is something to think about you guys christ is risen he's not just um you know sitting on the throne stagnantly in heaven he's also working in the world today he's meeting people today he's working through the people of god through his church but he's also working himself uh to to reach people's hearts and this also raises interesting questions when it comes to unreached people groups people who have yet to have human uh preachers come to them and preach the gospel it's actually a fascinating topic um you can see the skeptical mind of Bart Ehrman being so resistant to this idea um, and wanting to, in a typical sense, place Jesus back into the category of myth and, and all of that. Um, but I do think that it's very compelling that, again, 25% of Muslims who come to Christ do so because he came to them first in a vision or a dream. Pretty cool. All right, guys. If you guys like this kind of content, let me know in the comments below. Wow. I mean, that's kind of crazy to hear. I mean, it's really, if not a testimony to the reality of this faith walk, but just the fact that even people groups that wouldn't normally have any interaction with Christianity or the belief set are having dreams and visions, and the dream is telling them to go and talk to somebody mm -hmm. at a certain time and place, and they're showing up learning about Yahushua, right, mm -hmm. and putting their faith on the Messiah – it's just amazing to hear things like that and i think it's just uh you know one of those things that we should keep on our radar when we see more and more supernatural things like that happen in this day and age it's it's it kind of shows us the time that we're living in it's a time of the apocalypse and the apocalypse is the unveiling right mm -hmm. so while all this dark stuff's happening in the world there's also positive uh really faith empowering things happening also yep cool so uh interestingly enough not only are there some dreams and visions happening over in the middle east but there's some pretty prophetic scary uh insect attacks taking over mecca right now check out this video oh no 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 
It's like a plague. That is so gross. That is so gross. I don't do bugs. <laughs> oh man. Crickets are my least favorite bug ever. <laughs> What's happening right now in Mecca is beyond belief. The holiest city in Islam has been swarmed by a catastrophic plague of locusts during the holy month of Ramadan. But is this just a freak of nature or a divine intervention? As per the ancient prophecies, could this be a sign of the apocalypse? We delve into the cause and significance of this unnerving event that's left the city in shock. The swarming locust has catapulted the normally peaceful city of Mecca into the headlines. Muslims from across the world visit the holy city for the Hajj pilgrimage, but this year the city has been besieged by thousands of screeching bugs. Videos online show pilgrims struggling to pray while swarms of cockroaches and grasshoppers attack them. Social media exploded with reactions ranging from awe to fear as observers questioned the reasons behind this apocalyptic spectacle. In this report, we explore what caused this infestation and reactions of those affected and the potential implications of such a biblical occurrence. Take a look. All right, so yeah, interesting prophetic looking events happening in the Middle East, people having visions of Christ having plagues fall on Mecca. Uh, let's just suffice it to say that it looks like the Most High is trying to get somebody's attention over there. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so uh, here's another video. Uh, we often talk about how important it is to build community. And while the world falls down around us, while all these controlling, censoring measures are being taken by the government, by big tech, by pharma, whatever, how do we survive outside of the system? How do we come out of Babylon? Well, uh, there's a reason Jews are so wealthy. Check out this next video that really helps explain how keeping wealth inside of a community really can help it grow. Check this out. The Jews, in the Yiddish language, there's this word fargin, beautiful word. Here's what it means. It means that if we are in a community and you're doing something, even if somebody outside the community can do it better, cheaper, and faster, we buy from you. And when you get it wrong, we come to you. This, this, this wrong, fix it. Then we buy again. It's called Fargin. Go and look it up. All right. Anyways, that was crazy. Sorry, I, I'm going to have to cut this out. I hope it just went to the bathroom, but we can keep talking about it if you want. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so Fargin, uh, or the concept of continuing to reinvest monetary reinvest 
monetary resources into your community, even if there are other people out there that have uh, cheaper, better alternatives to service. Uh, but choosing to reinvest your money into people in your community helps build a community up. And so uh, it's interesting that, you know, we're finding ourselves in this day and age when we need to come out of Babylon. And so how important it is to get, gather people around us with a variety of skills that we can help them out if they help us out, right? And, yeah. and that way we don't have to depend on the system at large to be able to function as a society separate from the system, right? Yeah. And uh, how important, you know, that mindset is. Yeah, and, and the people that we met in Waco that actually knew the show, they're doing that. Uh, they're building like a little community and they're all working together in Nashville, which is pretty cool. He was explaining it to me, like building tiny homes, which I find fascinating. Actually, there was a, a freight, or not a freight, but a, a shipping container in Waco that I stayed in that was made into a house and it was so cool. And so, yeah, they're, they're building their own community and investing it all into their, sorry, into their own community. And I just, I just think that's awesome. Wow. Yeah, it is it's so awesome and so cool to see people building alternatives, right? Yeah. I mean, we can doom and gloom talk and be all depressed about all the things that are being done to us, but if we're not actively building better, then we have no excuse. Uh, so, so this week I'm going to share some, uh, some FE memes for our meme segment, but I wanted to demonstrate to you guys, uh, the Tate brothers and their apparent claim to be flat earthers. And they're a great example of how not to push your beliefs and how not to be all stuck on your particular conspiracy theory that you figured out because they're super, their humor is just terrible and dry and they're so just rude in terms of this belief set. So this is how you should not be if you are a professing flat earth proponent. So check out this video of the Tate brothers. If you're on fire, all it would take is my piss to extinguish you. If you I would still take a long walk in the cold in the middle of the night to the toilet and piss in the toilet. I would need to know something. If you caught on fire right here, right now, I would drink each and every one of these bottles. <laughs> <laughs> each and every one. I would drink all of them. Okay. Slowly. Teach you a lesson about dedication to the cause. <laughs> So glass. What are we doing? <laughs> so we the just sit around yeah, giant watermelon mess. <laughs> you guys keep calling me globetard, so it seems like it. <laughs> the Earth is flat. I follow all the flat Earth pages. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, it's not flat. You're a globetard. You're a globetard. You think this isn't flat? It's not. Is the world round? Yes. It's a globe. <laughs> globetard. All right, so how's it flat then? Prove to me it's flat. Look outside. I, I see the curve. He does I do. I see the curve. Tell, tell him more proof. That more proof. Did you know that not once in the history of space travel ever has any astronaut panned his camera around 360 degrees? Not once. Why don't they? What do you mean? It's all fake. Studios. All studios, studios yeah. Images, yeah. You're a globe dart. Your name should be Luke the Duke. 
But it said your name is Leek. <laughs> the Geek. I'm gonna start calling him Lord. Lork. Lork. Lork the Globe. This is stupid. I'm, I'm not a Globe Tar. You have a spacesuit. You can go out there and see it's flat. But you ain't yeah. fucking going. It's not flat. That's why you're Lork the Globe So is space fake? Is there even space? Space is fake. You're Lork. So, you can't so it's a dome? Space is CGI. Yeah, it's a solid dome. I'm gonna drink so much water that. There's not much. I'll drink all the water on the earth. Then what? Then you could be thirsty. What kind of name is Lork? That's but not my name. Lork? It's not my name. Can everyone who watches Take Confidential please spam Lork's inbox calling him Lork? I don't have an inbox. Yeah, he does on Instagram. It's real lucky Lork. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's how not to <laughs> conduct yourself when you're sharing uh, information like biblical yeah. cosmology, right? But it is interesting that the Tate brothers are claiming to have a belief in the flat Earth. You know, it. Well, my it, thing is, I can't tell if they're real or playing a character. Like, especially, yeah. I didn't know that they were brothers until just now. Like, I, I'm kind of out of that, but. They're if they are a character, they're just pretending to be something, which is I don't know. He's like a bad caricature of of a right wing dude. Like that's how he comes off as like a it like yeah takes all the worst qualities of a person and portrays that as himself. I hope I said that right. <laughs> yeah, they definitely seem like government assets. They're mm -hmm. being used to. Uh, to push some type of agenda. I know uh, Owen Benjamin's perspective is that he's uh, to help influence the youth, uh, young men to join the military, and that's his role as an asset. That's Owen's conspiratorial perspective, right? What, I, I, could I, I could actually see that being the case because of a lot of their language for their uh, Hustler University is all about war and we're at war and we're doing this and that so uh i could see how that's how they're being used but you know it is interesting when you see people like that uh come out you know it, and it, it makes me think that they're uh trying to claim to be flat earthers to simply discredit it you know it it, it reminds me a lot like of logan what happened paul with logan paul exactly who i was going to talk about uh it, it just seems like the way that they're behaving themselves, they're trying to make it look as stupid as possible. They're trying to mock just, us. They're trying yeah. to mock it, yep. All right, so uh, our final video for today is uh, Google CEO says AI's impact to be more profound than this discovery of fire electricity in a recent 60 Minutes uh, interview. So check out this final clip. 60 minutes overtime. Well, thank you very much. 60 Minutes is happy to be here. This week on 60 Minutes, we're going to look into the amazing world of artificial intelligence. So amazing. We are being shown <laughs> astounding 
new technologies. Whoa. Ping pong. You're looking cool. at one of them right now. That's not actually a picture of me. That is a computer representation of me in three dimensions. It's a new kind of technology that will allow people to feel like they're in the same room together. What is the point of all this? But I hope it makes it feel like you and I are completely together, no matter where we are in the world. Andrew Narker showed us a prototype of Project Starline, an AI video conferencing experience Google is developing. It's not a picture of you, it's essentially you. I'm now on the other side of the building, but this magic window makes it feel like we're exactly together again. The sense that I have sitting here is that I could just reach right out and take that out of your hand. Google allowed us inside its artificial intelligence laboratory Holographic. Welcome to Google. And we also had a right. rare interview Google. with Google's CEO, Sundar Pichai. What do you compare AI to in the course of human civilization? You know, I've always thought of AI as the most profound technology humanity is working on, more profound than mm -hmm. fire or electricity or anything that we have done in the past. Why so? It gets at the essence of what intelligence is, uh, what humanity is. You know, we are developing technology which for sure one day will be far more capable uh, than anything we have ever seen before. For me, the most amazing thing that I saw at Google was their barred chatbot. We played with a famous six-word short story often attributed to Hemingway. For sale, baby shoes never worn. The only prompt we gave was finish this story in five seconds. Holy cow. The shoes were a gift from my wife, but we never had a baby. They were. I had a little bit of an emotional reaction when I was working with Bard because I had the sense that I was meeting an intelligence that I had never conceived of and an intelligence that I was sure that I would never understand. I can totally understand what you're talking about, and I don't want to read too much into it today where the state-of-the-art technology is. Mm -hmm. so we are humans interacting with something which in some ways is mirroring humanity back in certain ways. What are the downsides? I mean, the downsides, at some point, does humanity lose control of the technology it's developing? Control? when it comes to disinformation and generating fake images. We saw the potential with Google's AI that creates pictures out of words. This is text in pictures. Exactly. Eli Collins is a vice president at Google. You can generate a picture of pretty much most things you imagine. I don't, I'm happy to put it in a prompt if, if you've got something. Uh, let's try pink taxi cabs on Fifth Avenue. All right, pink. Taxi cabs. Instantly, we saw a shade unknown on New York cabs. Next, that one has eight Collins wheels. gave us a first look at an AI system Google has not released yet, experimental text-to-video, which instantly answered our prompt, golden retriever with wings. Oh, look at that. As with Bard, this has safety filters. For example, it doesn't create images of people. Every Google executive we talked to said that there is a pressing need for government to regulate this new frontier 
of artificial intelligence because it has the power to change just about all of our lives. To be clear, this is going to be a cat and mouse game, right? People are going to use AI to be more sophisticated, no different from how we have tackled spam and Gmail. And we are constantly developing better algorithms to detect that they are spam. We will need to do the same with deep fakes, audio and video. But over time, look, there has to be regulation. You're going to need laws against. There have to be consequences for creating deep fake videos which cause harm to society. I don't usually hear CEOs of major corporations ask for government regulation. Anybody who has worked with AI for a while, you know, you realize this is something uh, so different and so deep that you know, we would need uh, societal regulations to think about how to adapt. The question of our age going forward is going to be whether these machine learning systems replace human capabilities, replace human creativity. We are only just now getting a sense of what they're capable of. And so these are places where society needs to get together and have a conversation. What do we need these intelligent machines to do for us? What do we prefer to do for ourselves? And where do we place value? <laughs> he said that they'll be able to detect if a deep fake, if it's a deep fake or if it's real. Who's making those calls? That's that's pretty scary. Oh yeah, and and I'm seeing all over the place more and more deep fake interviews being posted. Uh, it, it's it, like, for example, I saw one that had Elon Musk on Joe Rogan admitting he believed the Earth was flat. And of course, that's preposterous, but. Uh, just the fact that they can create these interviews, these deep fakes. Uh, I understand why they're saying that AI is going to be more impactful than the discovery of fire or whatever, you know, the big grandiose terms they use. Uh, it's just, man, it, 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 we're, it's moving fast. And with every passing month, we're going to see exponential growth of technology in the AI space. So it's going to be a different world in just a year, man. I know. And people are going to start believing be it's on. God. They're going to start believing AI is God. Like it has all the answers, but it's it's made up. It's not real. It's all facade. So yeah, it's kind of creepy. I mean, if you think about from, from flip phones to an iPhone, how long that took. And then AI is just like, boom, 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 boom. Like right after another, it's like, how are they doing that so fast? <laughs> yeah. 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 Computing technology, quantum computers, all these things that uh, have been developing over the past few years, they're all focusing in on this fine point, which is to manifest the alien god that was prophesied by Elon Musk and all these people who are warning about the dangers of the AI. But, you know, at the same time, these people who are warning us about it are also the ones directly behind its development which yeah. gets you scratching your head like well are you warning us about what you want to come about uh you know it's uh pretty crazy but all right jeremiah that's all the news i have for today all right man well thank you for another great current news as always very interesting except for the bugs those are a little freaky <laughs> but uh now a quick word from our sponsor jj now a word from our sponsor now personally i've tried every cbd product on the market 
to help me manage my pain. I have degenerative disc disease and nothing has ever helped me until I tried JJ's Natural CBD Rub. So when I found out that we had the opportunity to work together, I was so excited that I could share this amazing product with you guys here on Skiba News Nation. So if you want to manage your pain like I did, text CBD to 920-382-7720 for an exclusive $50 off a three-pack special. Also, check out all the testimonials on their website, jjcbdrub.com. Get pain relief like I did by getting yourself some JJ's Natural CBD Rub today. Check out more info down in the description below. Yeah, thank you, JJ, as always. And uh, I just got a notification. It's about that time for an all new Opa's Corner. Take it away, Opa. The following presentation may contain too many catch-ups. <laughs> Viewer discretion is advised. This presentation is rated CJ, cat jokes, parental guidance suggested. Well, 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 it's time for another Opa's Corner. So, let's get started. A shy priest greets the wedding guests to the chapel. He's very nervous and doesn't say much. As the couple approach the altar, the priest steps up and gives the best speech anyone has ever heard. He's full of confidence, incredibly expressive, and has everyone in fits of laughter. After the vows, the priest is extremely shy and barely says a word to anyone. The groom approaches him and asks, Why are you so shy? You seemed like a different person when you were giving that speech. I know, but that's just my alter ego. <laughs> a father wanted to prove that he's not just some boring house dad, so he went and got his first tattoo. When he got home, he excitedly showed it off to his wife and kids. Oh, cool, it's, uh, his wife asked. It's my thermos from work. His daughter starts to reach out towards him and says, Well, uh, the line work is certainly... He slaps her hand away and says, Don't touch the thermos tat. <laughs> Fred came home from college in tears. Mom, am I adopted? No, of course not. Why would you think such a thing? Fred showed her his genealogy DNA test results. He had no match with any of his relatives and a strong match for a family who lived on the other side of the city. 
Perturbed, his mother called her husband. Honey, Fred has done a DNA test, and, and, and I don't know how to say this. He may not be our son. Well, obvious. What do you mean? It was your idea in the first place. You remember that first night in the hospital when the baby did nothing but scream and cry and scream and cry and on and on, and you asked me to change him. I picked a good one, I reckon. Ever so proud of Fred. <laughs> A fleeing Taliban fighter, desperate for water, was lost in the Afghanistan desert when he saw something far off in the distance. Hoping to find water, he hurried towards the object, only to find a little old Jewish man at a small stand selling ties. The Taliban fighter asks, Do you have water? I have no water. Would you like to buy a tie? They're only five dollars. Idiot! I don't need an overpriced tie. I need water. I should kill you, but I must find water first. Okay. It doesn't matter that you don't want to buy a tie and that you hate me. I will show you that I'm bigger than that. If you continue over that hill to the east for about two miles, you will find a lovely restaurant. It has all the ice-cold water you need. Salam. Muttering, the Taliban fighter staggers away over the hill. Several hours later, he staggered back, almost dead. Your brother won't let me in without a tie. <laughs> A couple go for a meal at a Chinese restaurant and order the chicken surprise. The waiter brings the meal, served in a lidded cast iron pot. Just as the wife is about to serve herself, the lid of the pot rises slightly, and she briefly sees two beady little eyes looking around before the lid slams back down. Good grief! Did you see that? She asks her husband. He hadn't, so she asks him to take a look in the pot. He reaches for it, and again the lid rises, and he sees two little eyes looking around before it slams down. Rather perturbed, he calls the waiter over and explains what is happening and demands an explanation. Please, sir, says the waiter, what did you order? The husband replies, chicken surprise. Ah, so sorry, says the waiter. I bring you Peking duck. <laughs> A wife asks her programmer husband to go to the store. She asks him, Can you go down to the grocery store and get a gallon of milk? And if they have eggs, get six. Later on, he returns home, and she looks at the purchases and says, Why in the world did you buy six gallons of milk? He responded, They had eggs! 
A man absolutely hated his wife's cat and decided to get rid of him one day by driving him 20 blocks from his home and leaving him at the park. As he was getting home, the cat was walking up the driveway. The next day, he decided to drive the cat 40 blocks away. He put the beast out and headed home. Driving back up his driveway, there was the cat. He kept taking the cat further and further, and the cat would always beat him home. At last, he decided to drive a few miles away, turn right, then left, past the bridge, then right again, and another right, until he reached what he thought was a safe distance from his home and left the cat there. Hours later, the man calls home to his wife. Jen, is the cat there? Yes, the wife answers. Why do you ask? Frustrated, the man answered. Put him on the phone. I'm lost and need directions. <laughs> and now for the funnies. It's that dream again where I'm being chased by an old guy in a white suit who thinks he's a colonel. <laughs> it's finger looking good. <laughs> I let him think this patio door is shut for just another couple of seconds. They should do Easter boxes. That would be ideal. <laughs> Wolf in sheep's underwear. I'm sorry you had to find out this way, but this is me, Lisa. This is who I am. <laughs> arm extensions. Oh. <laughs> and lo, the angels spoken to Buster, saying, Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? <laughs> You're a good boy. Yes, you are. Have a cookie. Places to throw up. Bedroom, yep. Bathroom, yep. Guest room, yep. Kitchen, yep. Den, yep. Living room, yep. Dining room. <laughs> what a day. I helped out with five arrests. I guided my blind friend around the entire city. I chewed a hole in the couch. <laughs> it's not personal. We just decided it was time to hit the supply chain. Wild bird food. <laughs> A 
One day, I climbed up there and found out there's a dog that lives on top of that dresser. You know, son, this is the dawning of the age of asparagus. Age of asparagus, asparagus, asparagus. <laughs> it's true. We do shrink as we get older. <laughs> I'm cold. Give me a cat. <laughs> uh, that would be great. <laughs> In a dark alley, Mr. Clean and Scrubbing Bubble eyeball their next victim. But this was no ordinary opponent. <laughs> The real reason for extinction. <laughs> There'll be. What a day! The sun is shining, the bees are buzzing. Let's climb a trellis! I had to marry a morning glory. <laughs> You could go at any time now. Ha! I did it! I lived my whole life without ever once using algebra! <laughs> I watched it already, but I'll watch it again. A spot on the wall. You fool! I said chocolate rabbits! <laughs> he was an Easter egg. <laughs> Fifty year tour. Ready, Keith? Start me up, Mick! Early attempts at the milkshake. Oh. <laughs> Looks like the victim was brutally sliced into multiple pieces. It's over here, Sarge. Can't you at least try to relax and enjoy our vacation? No, I'm sure I forgot to knock the candle off the mantle before we left. <laughs> La Llamas at home. 
L look out, L Larry. It's the little landlord. <laughs> I just looked up our ancestry, Doreen. You're not going to believe where we came from. I'll have a kid's happy meal. I'll have the cranky old bastard's misery meal. <laughs> I wish they made that. <laughs> Cat personal trainers. That's right. Now turn around, lie down, then stretch out so you're pressing every key at <laughs> once. <laughs> if you need any help with your prescription, our trained staff are happy to pry open your mouth and force it down your throat. <laughs> Live long and prosper. That's Opa's Corner for this week. My hut, der hat drei Ecken. Drei Ecken hat mein Hut. Und hat er nicht drei Ecken, dann ist es nicht mein Hut. Opa's Corner is now available on my own YouTube channel. Like, share, and subscribe. Pause Corner Breaking News Report. It seems there were many legends with cats. <laughs> the king. Kurt loved the kitties. John, John Lennon. you to your regular programming. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Charlie. Oh, my baby Charlie, toy. do you love your daddy? Huh? <laughs> yep, that was my boy Charlie. So I so that that throw up uh, uh, Opus Corner funny uh, reminded me of what happened this morning. So I found out that Charlie is the most polite cat in the world because he didn't throw up on the ground. He threw up in a bowl that was like a treat bowl, and I have never seen something like that. <laughs> this is crazy. Anyways, great Opus Corner, Opa. Love the video. <laughs> so uh, now we're gonna play a promo for my mom's new book, The Protocol That Kills. Did you know that a government incentivized hospital protocol has led to the deaths of untold numbers of unsuspecting people? The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons noted, we now see government dictated medical care at its worst in our history since the federal government mandated these ineffective and dangerous treatments and then created financial incentives for hospitals and doctors to use only those approved and paid for approaches. The book, The Protocol That Kills, exposes the lethal regimen adopted by hospitals to maximize profits at the expense of patients' lives. This exhaustive expose provides a first-hand account of the protocol in action as it was invoked on an otherwise strong and healthy 52-year-old Rob Skiba, who was diagnosed with a viral infection by the admitting hospital. Within 40 days, this valiant Army veteran who had sworn to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, had fallen at the hands of a government-incentivized domestic enemy. This over 400-page true crime story uncovers every aspect of this lethal protocol in action, despite the protests of Rob Skiba and his wife. It includes disheartening text messages from Rob, who was locked away from his wife because she was forbidden to enter the hospital in the name of the protocol. Lawfully recorded detailed conversations his wife had with doctors, therapists, nurses, and hospital staff. Numerous pages extracted from the over 5,000 page hospital record that exposed the protocol that led to his tragic death. The testimony of a medical expert who provided his detailed analysis of the case. Invaluable and timely insights of a legal counsel who provides the story behind the story by providing crucial details and evidence along with over 100 citations from clinical studies, medical journals, federal regulations, and relevant books and articles that prove Rob did not die of natural causes, but due to the perpetrator's insistence that he follow the mandated and inhumane protocol that kills. As Richard Bartlett, MD says, this book shares a wealth of critical insights that will greatly aid in preventing future needless losses of life. The purpose of this book is to sound an alarm of a clear and present danger, as this lethal protocol is still being used against patients in hospitals all across America, and to provide you with essential insights that could help save your life or the life of someone you love. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Get a copy today at theprotocolthatkills.com. So the protocol that kills is available now. Uh, we'll leave a link in the description. 
of this video where you can find it and uh, yeah it's it's a tough tough read but a good read in it and it hopefully we save a lot of lives now I during the live chats one of my buddies Savage says that every time I do history that when I say it's time for some history that it says it sounds like I say it's time for some mystery and I didn't realize that until he pointed that out and uh, so <laughs> I'll try to do it a little bit better just for Savage it's time for some history. So last week we talked about Charles Manson and the Beach Boy connection. And uh, I did a poll in the live chat uh, when it was premiered and I asked you guys if you would want me to do a deeper dive on the Dennis Wilson story because it's it's a sad story and a suspicious ending of his life and uh, so the Skiba News Nation family has spoken so let's get into this deep dive of the sad ending and life of Dennis Wilson so we'll play that first clip The Beatles practically took over the United States when they arrived in 1964, setting off Beatlemania and changing the musical landscape for good. As far as American bands of the same period go, one of the most successful was the Beach Boys. The band was made up of brothers Brian, Carl, and Dennis Wilson, their cousin Mike Love, and friend Al Jardine. Together they were responsible for iconic singles such as Surfin' USA and Good Vibrations, as well as their legendary 1966 album Pet Sounds. Here they are with their big hit number, I Get Around. The Beach Boys! The Beach Boys are one of the most iconic bands in American history. Their 20 years together produced 35 albums. The band's drummer, Dennis Wilson, was the golden boy of rock and roll. Dennis was a quintessential teen idol. The girls just went crazy for him. All he would have to do is give a little toss of his head and you would just hear this scream uh, through the whole audience. Despite the band's squeaky clean image, Dennis was notorious for his adrenaline-fueled, danger-filled lifestyle. He lived the live fast, die young credo to the limit. Now Dennis was the was the drummer of the Beach Boys. He was one of the three Wilson brothers. It was Brian Wilson, who's uh, had that mental breakdown, who's still alive. He's a genius. Um, Carl Wilson, who sings one of my favorite Beach Boys songs, God Only Knows. It's probably the best song, in my opinion, ever and he was one of the founding members of the Beach Boys and he was actually the only surfer in the Beach Boys if you can believe that so so after that little you know backstory um, I want to kind of go a little bit deeper into the Charles Manson thing because I just kind of skimmed over that kind of a little bit so this is just a little bit deeper of, of how deep it really goes with Charles Manson Dennis fully embracing the 1960s. His new home at 14400 Sunset Boulevard became an open house for young hippies. Dennis and I met uh, back in 68. Quite honestly, he tossed me an apothecary jar of marijuana first, and he picked up a guitar and he started playing me these songs. He said, yeah, this friend of mine, Charlie, wrote these songs. Charlie was in fact the infamous cult leader, Charles Manson, who along with the so-called Manson family, moved into and Charlie, pictured here at the house, set out to impress Dennis with his homegrown songs. That was Charlie's thrust. He really wanted to be 
in the music business. He really wanted to be an entertainer. Charlie was an interesting study in that he could sit down with a guitar and plunk out a song, just chord out a song. The reworked song was in fact recorded by the Beach Boys and credited to Dennis. Charlie wasn't happy. I play music for God, I play music for myself. Then when I come up with a song and they change the words, I say, don't change the words. If you change the words, my shadows are running fast, man. Dennis, by this time, was looking to escape from his own house, which had been overrun by the Manson family. Dennis would lots of times get away from the place and spend a night at my house up in Beverly Glen. But somehow Charlie, and we never did figure this out, Charlie found out where that house was. We were in this little room of his at Greg's and the door flung open and, uh, and this crazy little man just came flying into the room and, uh, and he looked exactly the way he looked on the front of the newspaper months later when he was arrested and, uh, and he jumped in and he said, I just come from the moon. And Dennis said, come on, I want to talk to you. And he took Charlie outside and he came in and he was white as a ghost. And he said, I had to give him the guitar and all the money I had in my pocket. He said, he said, he swore he's going to kill, kidnap my son uh, if I don't get him all of this money because they had not put Charlie's name on this record of the Beach Boys. Also because Dennis had changed some of the words to it. And he said, you mess with anything with me, but he said, you don't mess with my words. So he threatened Dennis's life. And so just remember that uh, because we'll come back to it. But the next clip I'm going to show is where it gets crazy. So this is about the, the toxicology and the autopsy because it's, it's very, very strange. So check this out. Late yesterday, one of the group's founders, Dennis Wilson, died in a drowning accident. Shed Rose reports. He had spent the day with friends on a dock sailboat, went diving several times in the murky water of Marina del Rey. The last time, he failed to come up, and an hour later, the body of Dennis Wilson was brought out of the Pacific Ocean he celebrated in song. Wilson had drowned in 12 feet of water. Los Angeles authorities this morning will perform an autopsy on the body of Dennis Wilson, the Beach Boys drummer and one of the singing group's founders. Officials say he was found less than 15 feet of water. And on December 28, 1983... Can you hear me, Dennis? Dennis was pulled out of the water in the Marina del Rey Harbor. Investigators don't know exactly what caused the drowning. He vient de perdre son batteur, Denis Wilson, mort, dont les conditions restent suspectes pour les policiers. Was this a tragic accident, or did something else go wrong under the water that day? Could Dennis's death have been intentional? Dennis Wilson's autopsy report. The 1983 drowning death of founding drummer Dennis Wilson. On December 28, 1983, Wilson was found dead in about 12 feet of water near Marina del Rey, part of Los Angeles. The day of his death, Wilson had been on a boat called the Emerald, with his owner and two women. They reported that Wilson had jumped into the water at around 4.25 p.m. local time. At the time, Wilson was estranged from his wife, Sean Marie Love, the 19-year-old daughter of his cousin and bandmate, Mike Love. Years earlier, she had thrown some of his personal effects off of his boat and into the water in the same area. According to his autopsy, Wilson was trying to retrieve these items when he drowned. He was just 39 years old. Wilson was, by all accounts, comfortable in water. He was the only beach boy who could actually surf. The day of his death, he reportedly made several dives before he drowned, with the autopsy report mentioning that he had been successful in finding some of the items he was searching for. Wilson was wearing a face mask while he was in the water, though he wasn't using a snorkel. He popped above water following one dive and told his friend that he had spotted a large box on the ocean floor and that he needed a rope to bring it to the surface. His friend obliged. Wilson disappeared to retrieve the box. After some time, Wilson hadn't surfaced. His friends were concerned but thought that he may have simply resurfaced elsewhere. They looked for him for around 15 minutes, but when they had no luck, they called the authorities. Harbor Patrol went about combing through the water for the drummer, and within 30 minutes, they discovered Wilson's lifeless body and brought it to the surface at approximately 5.15 p.m. 
The autopsy report lists Wilson as an unembalmed Caucasian male, measuring 72 inches in length and weighing 168 pounds. It also described his hair as light brown with some gray, and that he was unshaven at the time, with stubble measuring approximately an eighth of an inch. The only unusual detail was that it was late December when Wilson died, and according to the autopsy, he was swimming in somewhat cold water, which around the time of his death was found to be just 58 degrees. The autopsy report mentions that Wilson had clear injuries to the face when he was pulled out of the water, and while it would seem like a natural conclusion to assume that these were sustained while he was underwater, this probably wasn't the case. On Christmas Day 1983, Wilson had attempted to meet with his estranged wife at a nearby hotel. Wilson had recently left a hospital where he'd been seeking detox treatments. However, the final sentence of the circumstances section of the autopsy states, the sheriff's investigator gave the impression that there was fairly heavy alcohol consumption in the days preceding the descendant's death. Wilson was allegedly drunk when he ran into one of his wife's male friends. Wilson wound up picking a fight with the man. It's noted in the autopsy report that the injuries appeared to have not been capable of causing Wilson's death, damage to his chin, nose, and above his left eye, all of which are consistent with what he reportedly suffered in the fight. The musician had been introduced to heroin while Charles Manson was staying at his Sunset Strip apartment. The toxicology portion of Wilson's autopsy lists several substances found in the late drummer's body at the time of his death. Wilson was found to have alcohol in his system, with a blood alcohol level of 0.26%. For reference, 0.08% is the legal limit in most of the United States. Also found in Wilson's blood were barbiturates, codeine, and morphine, among others. The report makes the case that, while not confirmed, it seems as though the substances in Wilson's system could have been a factor in his drowning. Forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter. Of all the Beach Boys, Dennis was the only one who actually surfed. He was clearly a strong and confident swimmer. How does someone who spent so much of his time in the ocean end up drowning in less than 15 feet of water? So he drowned in 12 feet of water. I mean, okay, so we're, we're going to go back to the Charles Manson thing when I told you to remember that because if you if somebody did believe the Charles Manson official story, couldn't Charles Manson put a hit out on Dennis? Even behind bars, he could have. So that's a possibility, I guess, if, if you're willing to, you know, uh, accept that theory. But I don't know. What, what, do, you th what do you think, Jake? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure what to think. <laughs> it, it was so weird because they, they the final cause was that he hit his head on a, on the dock, like underneath the wooden dock, and that he bumped his head and passed out and was in the bot, you know, sank all the way down. But bodies float, don't they? I mean, that's what I was always under the impression of. Yeah, I don't know. I I know it's. I feel like it's a fairly common thing for people to bump their heads coming up, but it also is a great excuse for why he drowned. So, well, he was. I, I could go either way. Yeah. He was also found in the fetal position. Is that not weird too? Because if you're unconscious, how would you get into that position where he was hugging himself? I don't know. It just seems kind of weird to me. Do you think it's yeah, weird? Those... I mean, what do you think, Opa? Yeah, it's uh, very strange. I I don't know what to think about it, really. Uh, it could be anything. So I have this this fourth and final Dennis Wilson clip, and uh, it's the final days and sad ending of the great Dennis Wilson. So. Blue was intended as the follow-up album to Pacific Ocean Blue. Dennis had made a start on it, but the drugs and alcohol were taking their toll, and aged only 34, he began to lose some basic musical skills. 
Dennis's voice had deteriorated to the point where he was recording songs that the melody required places where his voice wouldn't go. And so he, he began bringing Carl in to assist him, to sing with him. Carl was really supportive, always loved Dennis's music. And so you have examples of, of Dennis taking part of a song and then Carl kind of coming in and filling in the rest. But unfortunately, Bamboo suffered along with Dennis. Uh, as Dennis deteriorated personally, um, the Bamboo sessions deteriorated. These were dark days for Dennis. His second marriage to Karen had failed, the Bamboo sessions were faltering, and worst of all, Brother Studio, his recording bass, was in financial trouble. The Beach Boys, who owned the studio, put it up for sale. We were trying to sell it to Fleetwood Mac at this point. You know, uh, Lindsey Buckingham was a big Beach Boy fan, so Lindsey would come by with Mick Fleetwood and look at the studio and John McVie, and they were very interested in taking it over. You know, we started to all become sort of friends, and Dennis, you know, initially was trying to hit on Stevie Nicks. Stevie didn't show much interest in Dennis, but Christine McVie became quite enamored with him. I think he was just in awe of her musical talent, and it was something that bonded between them that first night that materialized within 24 hours, and, uh, and they were great for each other for a time. I mean, the Beach Boys were big, but Fleetwood Mac at that time, coming off of Rumors, they were really, literally the biggest band in the world. He was enamored with the fact that Christine was selling more records than the Beach Boys ever did. And Christine had, you know, unlimited funds for drugs and what have you. And so all that was very intoxicating to him. He became, you know, enamored by the things around Christine as opposed to maybe Christine's beauty, if that makes sense. There was a party at Christine McVie's up in the Holmby Hills there, Beverly Hills area. Lovely home, big white house on the hill, big lawn that goes down to the pool, and then there's a pool house. It was a comfortable Beverly Hills home, and it was just, there was a nice little shack at the far end of the property that was a pool house, and Dennis adopted it as his own. And uh, the night that the disaster happened, I happened to be up in the bedroom, with, in Christine's bedroom, and she looked out the window at one point and said, my God, what are those flames? Dennis had burned down the pool house. He was fooling around down there with candles to make it romantic. And Christine is coming down the stairs, and that's when Christine delivered her great line of, bit, bit excessive, your friend Dennis. He had the gardener plant this very large heart in the lawn with all different colored flowers. And of course, it went on Christine's gardener bill, which is kind of fun, but there's, that's Dennis for it. In 1979, Dennis was facing a far greater loss as the Beach Boys finally sold Brother's studio. Dennis was creatively homeless. This is totally decentering Dennis. You know, he's totally losing his, his basis of production, his security, his playpen, his house, whatever you want to call it. Dennis was carrying around his master reels, looking for odd engineer or person to help him pull his project together. I took a couple shots at it with Dennis working in the studio, but it was so erratic, it was so difficult, I couldn't do it. And I told Dennis, I, I couldn't, I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. I had to bow out. I couldn't, uh, it was too hard to see what was happening. In addition to losing the studio, Dennis failed to keep up loan payments and had his beloved boat, the Harmony, repossessed. The combination of Dennis losing the studio and losing the boat were, I mean, those were two, two anchors that Dennis would hold on to. Without that, there, was, there wasn't much for Dennis to, to hang that hat on, that, that, that joy. The alcohol really numbed the pain for him, and, uh, and he got to the point where he would carry a jug. It was two different things that he drank. He either drank uh, uh, rum and orange juice or uh, vodka and uh, vodka and grapefruit juice. And he would got to the point where he would pour half of it out on the curb of a liquor store and fill the other half of the juice bottle up. And he just carried this thing around with him all day, constantly staying numb from alcohol. And it was it was sad. It was sad to see him in that much pain. 
Dennis, maybe you'd like to start this off. Why do you think that you've had such, you know, continued popularity? Dennis. <laughs> Good morning, Dennis. I know it's early there. <laughs> Dennis, you know, has been out for days on end partying, and he's, he can't hold himself up on the couch. Dennis, how you doing? How you doing out there? We keeping you awake? I'm borrowing my brother Carl's microphone. I think that this is ABC. Yeah. You need a new microphone. He's falling right. into Carl's lap, and he's he's smoking, and his the smoke from his cigarette is is wafting across the the table and right up under Mike Love's face, and you know when they they pan over to Mike, you can just see him seething. Dennis's antics on the couch extended to the stage. He started missing shows, but a drunken face-off with Mike Love in front of fans led to the Beach Boys doing the unthinkable, sacking a Wilson brother. I can relate to Dennis. He had an affliction, an illness, that I share with Dennis, and it was substance abuse. And he was out, you know, in the early 80s, just, you know, blah, where am I? What am I doing? What happened? Much is the same way that I was feeling. I, I had the same thing. I uh, anesthetized myself for 30 years to get over, you know, the heartbreak of separating from my brothers that I got famous with. And, and that was happening to Dennis also. Same thing. It's, uh, he was alienated from the band and his family. Dennis's relationship with Christine McVie was another casualty of his lifestyle. After they split, she described him as half little boy and half insane. Months later, Dennis met an attractive teenage blonde. She went by the name of Sean Love, and although Mike denied it, claimed to be Mike Love's illegitimate daughter. I think there's some controversy regarding who accepts that as fact and who doesn't, but, but in the Wilson camp, pretty much everybody will tell you that Sean was Mike's daughter. By 1983, a year shy of 40, Dennis's world had changed. He'd made Sean his fifth wife. They had a baby son, Gage, but they were adrift. So that'd be a second cousin. And Dennis lacked direction. They had made a home of sorts in a beachside Santa Monica hotel, only yards from the concert hall where he'd stolen the Tammy show in 1964. So at this point, with various circumstances, we had all moved across the street there. There's, there's, this was an old-time motel there called the Santa Monica Bay Inn. And Dennis and Sean were living there. Uh, my ex-wife and kid and I were living in the room next door. And we were all able to see our bar stools over here at Shea Jay's. And that had a lot to do with why he spent that pretty much the last at least six months of his life either in Shea Jay's or in that motel. The Beach Boys did let Dennis back in the band. And on Independence Day 1983, Dennis serenaded the crowd. Folks, Listen how old he sounds in this. What it felt like to be up here singing and playing, you know, in front of you. The joy it brings to us. Thank you so much. You know, you'd sense a deterioration happening to him. I mean, that song, I remember, that was probably around the first time I saw him in a way that was hard to see him, singing with the voice, having a hard time singing. God bless you. The Beach Boys. This was the last 4th of July that Dennis would spend with the Beach Boys. So that man was 39 years old. I mean, what do you think about that, Jake? I mean, does he look like a 39-year-old man? 
I mean, that's what substance oh. abuse will do to you. I mean, I've struggled yeah. with it, so I kind of understand. Luckily, I've I'm healed from that. But, you know, he just couldn't get past it. He just couldn't. I don't know. So I could I could see him drowning, but I could also see, you know, he was getting mixed up in some with some shady characters. I mean, I mean, you know, like Manson and and even other shady people just to get his music done, like other music managers, people that could use him for money and he was very usable as they say as they said in that first clip, but there is one kind of cool thing that happened was uh, so in 1977, Dennis Wilson uh, was releasing his first solo album and only solo album because he died, Pacific Ocean Blue, which was a un there was an unfinished song on there, and it was called Holy Man. And in 2009, do you know who Taylor Hawkins is? He's no, now, I'm not familiar. He's now passed, but uh, the Foo Fighters drummer filled in for Dennis's vocals, and they finished the album, which was pretty interesting. And apparently. Uh, Roger Taylor and Brian May of, of Queen helped contribute to finishing that album, but isn't that crazy? Hmm. Yeah, it's really sad how fast he deteriorated. That's uh, is really telling. Yeah, and that's just a warning. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Opa? I think that uh, his use of alcohol, drugs, etc., that was the end of him. Yep. So kids, please don't do drugs or alcohol. <laughs> so that's all I got for Dennis Wilson. I mean, it's hard to to do one episode about one person and really get all of the details. But you know, he he was not a very well documented. He was a drummer. So I mean, the drummers are always the, the last person you think of in a band. So he's probably the most. Uh, I mean, of the biggest band of the United States of America at that time and probably ever, he just, I think there should have been some investigation. That's my personal opinion. But, you know, I don't think they can do anything about it now. But uh, that's all I got for Dennis Wilson. I hope you guys like that. But I do have one more clip, and it's a little bit of comic relief, and it kind of has to do with something recently, and it has to do with our favorite president, Joe Biden. So let's take it away. You know the average tax rate they pay? Eight. E-I-G-H percent. Eight percent. And there was a moment that caught people's attention in which he was trying to talk about Syria and specific policy in Syria. Take a listen. Um, we could work together with Russia, for example, in uh, in Libya, we should be open that where we can save the lives of people in, for example, in, uh, in Libya. Uh, Libya or Syria? Does he know? You are the most significant warrior for peace I've ever met. We got the telephone. He suggested we call the leader of, of Switzerland. Switzerland, my good, my goodness, I'm, I'm getting really anxious here about expanding NATO. Oh, Sweden. To keep alive the truth and honor of the Holocaust, horror of the ho Holocaust. It's just, it's absolutely awful. And again, there's no upside. We'll always honor the bravery and selfishness, selflessness of the, and sacrifices of the Americans who served, including 
my son, Major Bo Biden. You bring up Joe Biden. He's in Cambodia, not Colombia. I want to thank the prime minister of, for Colombia's leadership and the ASEAN, ASEAN chair and for hosting all of us. Nine unscripted words spoken by President Biden have caused a global diplomatic uproar. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. The White House immediately clarified that message, insisting the president wasn't talking about regime change, and abroad, allies are distancing themselves from the comments. I applaud China for stepping out, excuse me, I applaud Canada. I'm, you can tell what I'm thinking. As a matter of fact, as you walk into my office in the, in the Oval Office in the United States Capitol, guess what? Yeah, he's got a question. What's your, what's your question? Paying tribute to his distant cousin, Rob Carney, a former Irish rugby international, he said this. He was a hell of a rugby player, and they beat the hell of a black and tans. Oh, God, I love it. Clearly confusing New Zealand's All Blacks for the reviled British paramilitary force, the Black and Tans, which tried to brutally suppress Irish independence. Let's go, let's go late and lick the world, let's get it done. Let's go, let's go late and lick the world, let's get it done. Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. Inflation is a worldwide problem right now because of a war in Iraq. Whether or not they're pulling back from Fallujah, and the, I mean, from the As a matter of fact, as you walk into my office in the in the Oval Office in the United States Capitol, reminds us of the responsibilities we have to the president. It should be the president. Are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in 2024? Well, I'll either roll an egg or you know, being the, the good, you know, the guy who's pushing them out. Yeah, what the hell is Biden? You know, I mean, I'm like, like I'm a, uh, you know. Anyway. I'm not making this up. This is real. This is, it's almost people can taste it. Let's go, let's go late and lick the world. <laughs> and, uh, the mayors of the Twin Cities are here as well. Jacob Fry from Minneapolis. Where are you, Jacob? He was here. The town of Rolling Stone will be back and will be with you every step of the way. And I, did I, what did I say? I, I didn't. Plus, my economic plan is building more clean energy future made in America. Not in America, made in America.
When it comes to the top down, my dad's kitchen table, not much dropped on that kitchen table from the top down. Leon? <laughs> for the cue. Hello, everyone. <clears throat> Let me start by apologizing for the slight cold I have. That's the only thing that's happening to me these days. So today, I applaud China for stepping up. Excuse me, I applaud Canada. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. And explicitly, explicitly includes tax credits for electric vehicles. And who are those good-looking kids back there? Should not support companies that are willing to sell their products to abate human rights and violations. And, uh, excuse me, abate human rights. I have, uh, we have, uh, um, you know, uh, and I uh, quote it, to you from falling, from failing, excuse me, so I'm, I'm known as America's most pro-labor senator. And I hope you have a good round table. So that's the most powerful man in the world. Uh, he's got the most votes of all time. And uh, let's go lick the world. You know, it, it, it's funny at the beginning, but then you see the decline in his health. And it's he just announced that he's re- like rerunning like he's gonna be running in 2024 and it's like i tried to listen to one of his speeches and i legit tried to 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 give him the benefit of the doubt and to actually hear and comprehend what he was saying and i, I could not i could not decipher one word that he was saying the teleprompt the thing at the bottom was getting it all wrong it's like really they're gonna put this old man you know in front of everybody and make america look like it's you know you know like a laughing stock i mean i don't know that's just my opinion i guess but what are your thoughts about that jake yeah uh, uh as we have seen it over the years some, more and more I, I start to wonder if he's not playing a part uh something about the way that they are over exaggerating his senility almost seems like he's he's actually doing some of it on purpose if you know what i mean um, like a gaff? although like like uh like his gaffes and his different things it's almost like they want everybody to look at him in the way that we are which is oh he's lost it and i wonder if that has some role to play in the coming election cycle I mean, I, I don't think I could think of one person that would vote for him in his state. I mean, honestly, that, that's, that's just me and like where I'm from and everything. But Opa, what do you think about Joe Biden running in 2024? I think he's crazy. <laughs> and Opa is not a Trump person. He is the most anti-Trump person I've ever met. And at the end of the day, I love Opa more than anything. So I hope you guys enjoyed the history segment and that little comic relief and also an eye-opening kind of what's he saying about joe biden and let's go lick the world uh jake you got some memes for me yes we do all right meet me up meet me up <laughs> all right time for some memes guys let me see here so, uh, <laughs> we uh, had that little clip of the Tate brothers and their 
claiming to be flat earthers, but there are really good proofs. Um, I mean, they did make the point that if you didn't have a spacesuit, you would never know, uh, and that they have never panned 360 degrees while in space. And, and some of those things really do scratch the head, but I have a couple memes for us this week. Uh, here's one to start us off. Uh, NASA is lying to you. The International Space Station is a hoax. There isn't an electrician in the world who would install cables and wires like this on a $150 billion project. We're all, everything's just poking out. I have That's always wondered. That is yeah, a really why good are point. there wires all over the place? Um, oh, man. It, it's, uh, it's very unkempt. And, uh, and of course, I've, I've showed many videos in my documentaries of uh, green screen proof and them grabbing wires and all kinds of stuff. But dude I mean, i've never seen your documentary and i want to watch it so bad how, how could me how could i watch it and the viewers like well uh i i i honestly i would have to uh if you were interested i i can send you a documentary jeremiah uh if you want to uh you know if any of our viewers wants to buy one from me i'll ship it to you just email me at uh at jake at skibanewsnation.com and, and jeremiah i'll send one your way okay cool because i've heard only good things about it so i'm excited to see it awesome yeah man i hope you enjoy it whenever you do get a chance to check it out i, I made it as funny as possible <laughs> sweet all right uh here is a uh, an earthquake detection kit <laughs> it's the little bobbly <laughs> eyes you know yeah. <laughs> that's a good idea um yeah. Uh, if the person who named walkie-talkies named everything, stamps, licky-sticky, defibrillator, <laughs> hardy-starty, bumblebees, fuzzy-buzzy, pregnancy test, maybe-baby, bra, breasty-nesty, fork, stabby-grabby, a socks, feedy-heedy, hippo, a floaty-boaty, or a nightmare, a screamy-dreamy. I like the the stamp, licky sticky. Let's go lick the word. Licky sticky. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is how our minds work when we have constant access to all knowledge on our phones, right? Sleeping in bed, your brain says, "Can a cow swim?" And you go, "But well, I don't know. Probably not." Uh, oh, okay. I gotta look it up now. <laughs> I have this happen to me all the time. Yeah, me too. Oh, just a reminder in today's trans world agenda, uh, in the Bible, demons refer to themselves as they, them, we, and us as their pronouns. Oh, man. So, Is that true? Uh, yeah. In the, in the Bible, yeah, it's always <laughs> these pronouns that are used. Man, if we can make that oh, a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't clear... Uh, Dr. Seuss is, uh, if you're born with a d you are not a chick. <laughs> so, um, I need that book. Man. That is hilarious. Um, here is an interesting Hebraic breakdown of the word male. Um, and I, I find it really interesting how the, you know, it's said that every Hebrew word has seven meaning, or every Hebrew letter has seven meanings, and every Hebrew word has seventy meanings. Um, but I, I find this interesting how the word male is broken down in Hebrew, and the role of the male being the one of the family 
that remembers and passes down the family history through story and family name. Also the one who acts and speaks for the family. Man, if that doesn't really hone in on what it means to be a male and to be the, the man of the household, right? Yeah. Um, the, the word being male, man, child, mankind, and him. Um, and so it's uh, uh, the le- it kind of breaks down each uh, letter here. But the female being, um, a- as with a whole, female, woman, made. I know that's kind of it sounds crude, but um, it it actually breaks down that you know woman is the tent that grows and reveals mankind or the seed of man. So mm-hmm. uh, this little symbol. Uh, you know, here to the far right, you know, looks like a little spermy, you know, and then you have the the symbols for a hole and a tent and then a revealing. So, you know, it, it literally breaks down in the language that, uh, you know, you can't have a phallus if you were a female is the point. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> yes, it, in the language of Hebrew, it really... I will, it, I will say... It, it's pretty clear. It's beautiful. They're the old school uh, or the... What 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 is it? What is it again? Paleo Hebrew, the, Paleo the Hebrew. pictographic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very really cool. deep meanings. Yeah. yeah. One of the pictographic wor- uh, breakdowns of a word that really changed my understanding is: Did you know that um, the letters that comprise the word "wicked"? Right? You know, "wicked." It's like bad yeah. or you know, twisted or whatever. But when you break down the meaning of each individual letter and you put it all together into a sentence it describes a a person who lacks the strength to overcome oh and that's what wickedness is and so whenever we look at our own lives is there an area that i'm wicked in it's often the times that we have those little pet sins or whatever that we're not willing to do anything about, that we just kind of keep harboring, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it really describes it in the Hebrew letters what it means to be wicked. And, and by understanding through what how the language is, is broken down, we get a better understanding of how to overcome. And uh, and I think that's what's so beautiful about you know the Paleo-Hebrew. Yeah, that's so interesting. All right, here's uh, the snoring of men is the karma of women. (laughs) Women don't shut up all day, and men don't shut up all night. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I know that's true for my wife and me. No offense, honey. You know I snore at night. All right, here we go. Uh, What kind of man was Boaz before he married? He was ruthless. (laughs) But, um, all right. Uh, okay, here's some more uh, memes regarding cosmology. Uh, here's the footprint of a dog. Here's the footprint of a bird. Here's the hoof print of a horse. And here's the footprint of a liar. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the pictures of the moon boots in the the museum, but they don't even have the treads on them. It like, looks like a totally different boot. No, dude, but we forgot to go to the uh, museum. The we should go to Houston next time you come down and go to the NASA museum and oh yeah we should they are still doing breakfast with an astronaut and we need to do it because we can ask them whatever we want and we can film it maybe with a hidden camera <laughs> <laughs> yeah wouldn't that be great that'd be cool yeah I have so many things I would like to ask so them. let us know in yeah. the comments if you want me and Jake to do that 
be great. All right, uh, here we go. Here's a good reminder. Don't use social media less. Use it more intentionally. Follow people who inspire and motivate you. Engage with experts you can learn from. Create genuine, positive friendships. Just stop mindlessly scrolling, complaining, and hating, and engaging in negativity and bitterness. Because, uh, you know, there, you know, the internet and the technology we have is a tool for good or evil, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's whatever we make of it. Yep. Uh, on the climate change agenda, uh, then the cows farted and all the people died. <laughs> uh, I just think it's crazy that years ago they were saying that the methane dispelled from cows was causing global warming. It's I know, like, right? What are we going to do with all those cows? Here's another FE meme. Uh, the horizon is always at eye level because the laws of perspective that are observed on our flat earth, uh, this is an irrefutable proof that the earth is not a globe. If the earth were, the, were a globe, the horizon would fall with increasing altitude, but this is not what we have observed because the Earth is flat. The vanishing point in the spot directly ahead of us, where objects become smaller with increasing distance uh, in the firmament, the dome above us, prevents us from being able to also to go up high enough to photograph the entirety of Earth. And so it's interesting that you have uh, videos like the Red Bull uh, high-altitude balloon mm-hmm. jump with... Um, Felix Baumgartner and even guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson will say at 127,000 feet he saw flat and the horizon was at his eye level and unfortunately the video footage that we have from experiments like that or jumps like that are all fisheye lenses mm-hmm. and and then we have to trust uh, NASA and the footage that we get from the ISS um, that depicts the curvature of the earth but in reality, if we were to really go up and look at what was able to be seen at that 250-mile uh, distance from Earth's surface, uh, you know, it, it would still be a flat horizon plane. Um, and, you know, I think that's really telling. I think that a lot of people that claim they can see the curvature at a high, uh, uh, you know, at a high perspective of a, you know, a, an airline flight, 36,000 feet. Well, prove it. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, prove, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, that's not true. And even the scientism priests of, you know, like guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson will, you know, say, hey, you're not actually seeing curvature at that height. Um but, you know, just a reminder, space may be the final frontier, but it is made in a Hollywood basement. <laughs> Have uh, you seen that mockumentary? You seen that mockumentary where they, uh, it's, it's, it's like as if, like, it's like um, showing if, I mean, it was faked, but how they did it, but it's like filmed as a documentary, but it's, it's, no, it's so I, don't, I don't know if I'm familiar. I, I have to find the title of it because it, it was super interesting and it actually kind of did the opposite of mockumentary. Like it, it looked like that's what they did. And uh, huh. I'll find it and I'll send it to you and maybe I'll share it with the Patreons. So, yeah, that, that, that sounds really interesting. I'd like to check that out. Sweet. Uh, of course, uh, when they need computer generated images <laughs> to convince you, it's because it's fake. And that's for a variety of topics. Yep that we can't mention here on YouTube. Uh, uh, I always struggle with this temptation. Me waking up every morning like, I should post 127 memes in a row today. (laughs) 
get the get the word out there the modern parable for our generation and of course people uh you know see our crazy perspective of the world and uh the truth is i'm actually weirder than you think uh, <laughs> uh but hey it's it's good to be unique we're supposed to be set apart and especially with our worldview oh, yeah. uh you know people look at us as pretty strange but you know we we have our uh, the the things that have led us down this journey of truth, and um, hopefully you guys can appreciate some of the things we share. But that's all for this week, Jeremiah. Yeah, I always said if you're if you're not weird, you're not normal, right? Like it's it, yeah. You want to be weird. You want to be weird. Yeah, you don't want to conform. I mean, that's what the whole system wants us to be: is conformed in our thinking, conformed in our sexuality, our actions, our our morality, whatever. You know, it's all conform to the blob so let's stay weird all right well oh yeah thanks jake for another great memes as always you always find the funniest ones before i do uh we hope you enjoyed today's episode thank you guys for being here every week and for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth please subscribe and stay tuned if you would like to submit a story topic or have any other inquiries please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon, where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcast on your favorite podcast platform.